In the distant future, the discovery of a black monolith on the moon signifies the existence of alien life beyond our planet. An exploratory team of astronauts is sent to Saturn, where a signal from the monolith was sent. But the ship's artificially intelligent caretaker takes matters into his own hands in the 1968 sci-fi game changer, 2001, A Space Odyssey. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Austin Johnson. And this is Filmgasm. Welcome to the Film Guys and Podcast. Before we start, I believe it's Jupiter in the movie, Saturn in the yes. book. So thank you so yeah. much, Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke, for making me screw that up. <laughs> that's, that's, that's quite all right. Initially, Kubrick wanted it to be Mars and change it to Jupiter. So, <laughs> you know, all kinds of planets being represented here on Filmgasm. Not an odyssey if you're going to Mars. That's like a like a two-day bus trip in, in the future. So <laughs> it had to be Jupiter. Yeah, yeah. yeah and he well, knew that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they had that argument. I'm sure that was a fierce, vicious argument. <laughs> Jupiter or Mars. <laughs> uh, today we're stepping into the career of noted auteur and perfectionist nutcase Stanley Kubrick to discuss his Oscar-winning sci-fi epic 2001 A Space Odyssey. Uh, we definitely have mixed feelings about this one, and we chose to discuss it for a very specific reason. And uh, I'm going to leave that to you. Austin, why did we decide to talk about this? Well, you know, we've been changing things here on on Filmgasm, and we want fresh ideas for for episodes and doing different kinds of things and having fun with all kinds of genres and connor and i were discussing all oh, like maybe we should do some sort of movie swap where you know you watch a movie that i recommend i watch a movie you recommend uh it's, that's hard to do when we've both seen a lot of the same things <laughs> and like the same things we have very similar taste uh, for the most part i'd say like 95 percent of the time and then we were like, what if we found movies that we've only seen once and we gave it that second visit, that, that, that very important second watch. And 2001 Space Odyssey is one of the you know, most acclaimed films by one of our directors, like a mutual director we both like a lot. It's, it's one of those classic films that you just kind of have to see. And it's on the tippy top of all kinds of lists, you know, Sight and Sound and AFI, all these different lists. It's always ranked very high so it deserves a second watch right most kubrick films do do you know they they gain that respect and you know 2001 a space odyssey we both the first time we watched it we're just kind of like ah, i don't know i don't know if i get it or like what's going on here and so giving it that second watch is always interesting to see if anything changes uh i think a little bit more change for me than you but we'll, we'll get into that today you know um i'm, I'm really excited uh I've been reading a lot about this movie. I haven't like, been able to get it out of my head, which is a good sign. You know, like when you're kind of just grappling with the film, it's also frustrating because there's, it's so ambiguous and there's so many different interpretations you can take with this movie. That's also part of the fun. Yeah. I love the idea of, of the second watch. There's so many films I've been able to finally understand or appreciate by giving them a second chance. And, uh, you know, it's not always going to happen. Sometimes your first impression is pretty on the spot, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, you know, in some cases, 
I'm going to find something and be like, oh my God, where was I years ago? Mm. And that's what I'm looking for. Yeah, that's definitely the goal. And uh, I try pretty hard to set aside the first time I watched it, whether it was a year ago or, or years ago. In this case, it's like five or six years with 2001. The first time I watched this movie, I like did the classic thing where I got together with some of my buddies, smoked a bunch of weed and watched it and was like, whoa, you know, but also like, oh, what? You know, <laughs> like it was one of those things because that's that's like what it, that its legacy is that, you know, um, when the movie uh, premiered and was doing very poorly with critics and people were walking out in the middle of it and um, like its initial premiere. Uh, Stanley Kubrick was sitting like in the front row and was like coward, coward over like, oh, fuck, like what happened here? And then Arthur Clark was in tears during the intermission, was in tears because he's like, this is like kind of my vision, the story and like what happens in this movie, everything with the monolith and Dave and all these, you know, Hal, these different characters. He was like, oh, fuck, like we, we fucked up. And then, you know, um, during the like late 60s and during the 70s, stoners and hippies like, just gripped onto this movie and we're like yeah this is ours like so then they changed the advertising because back then movies would play for years in theaters right and they changed the uh advertising like on the posters and trailers for it's the ultimate trip (laughs) so then you would get people to come in like oh if you take some acid at the right time by the time you get to the interstellar highway the stargate uh the last half you know last uh hour and a uh, half hour of the movie you're going to be like, holy fuck, you're hallucinating and you're watching these colors go by and it's like brilliant. So, of course, five, six years ago, I was smoking pot like all the time and, and I was like, well, I need to do that. You know, not only do I like do I like doing that with my friends, I also love movies. So I remember I kind of headed it up with my buddies that I was like hanging out with at the time. And I was like, hey, let's do this together. Like, it'll be fun. And they they weren't into it as much as I was just off of like, oh, really, dude, we're going to watch a two and a half hour movie that like has... 40 minutes of talking and a hundred minutes of just stuff, you know, uh, that that's more up my alley than theirs, but we all had a good time, but I left it there. You know, I like left it right there. I was like, yeah, it was a trip, man, you know, whatever. But like, man, you know, I, as like a cinephile, I'm just like always wondering like, what's that second watch going to do? You know, what's that going to do to me as a fan? And this time around sober as can be, watch it in my bedroom with the lights off by myself. And I was like, okay, I, I, I definitely get this a little bit more than, than I did, you know, years ago. Um, not only is there a big change in the way I watched it by myself sober, also five, six years go by in the middle of my twenties, I'm, I'm a different movie watcher now. So I appreciated it a lot more this time as a movie. And man, I would love to see this thing on the big screen. Holy shit. Well, to paraphrase another movie we recently covered, in another life, I would have really enjoyed smoking pot and watching 2001 A Space Odyssey with you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> right? No kidding. I, uh, I knew about the the stoner help in box office. I didn't know about the poster change, and that is just delightful. <laughs> the ultimate trip, man. And have you heard that story about the kid in L.A. that ran through the screen? He was uh, on acid. He ran no. through the, he, 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 <laughs> this is great. So my favorite things about the movie is that there's so many crazy stories about like hippies, like <laughs> just losing their minds. He ran this through the movie screen at the end when the fetus is on the screen and said, it's God. 
like, fuck yeah, that's cool as shit. Oh my god. Like, oh, that's in the, in the middle of LA, some 19 year old is like high off his ass, like, yeah, I can't. Everything makes sense now. <laughs> Thank you, Kubrick. And Kubrick was like, a, he like never took drugs, never did any of that. He had to ask different people about like, oh, what do I need to do visually to like make this appealing to that audience? Like he, he was kind of a, a fucking square, you know? So, um, I just, I love like those little, you know, anecdotes about this movie. Oh, it's great. You know, I've people who don't, who've never seen this, they know about it due to it being parodied to death yeah. since 1968. Uh, it's yeah, I, yeah. yeah, it's, it's, it's intense. Um, I first watched this in my senior year of college. I took a class on the films of Stanley Kubrick. Uh, we covered, um, we started with The Killing and we ended Oof. with, she Oof. did the coolest thing at the end. She picked films that she feels would have been Kubrick films had he been alive to make them. Oh, God. Mm. It included um, AI, artificial intelligence. Um, yeah. There Will Be Blood. Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Uh, I wish I knew the rest. But yeah. And of course, we talked about every one of his films in order of release. So we did, when we got to 2001, I was excited. You know, this has been on my list for years. I'd never seen it before. All I knew yeah. was The Simpsons did it. And uh, <laughs> I started watching it. You know, we get the, you know, and I'm like, oh, shit, this is going to be wild. And then it's just. You hear that? That's silence. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of it. not very entertaining is it (laughs) yeah yeah i i hear you (laughs) so yeah it's i was like i was kind of bummed i was like this is kind of my worst fear with this movie was that it would be boring as shit i was hoping it wasn't going to be and then it was so then i just threw it away and thought nothing of it till we came brought it here and i was you know so years later yeah so like when you did that you were you said your senior year of college, so yeah, that was 2017. So, like your initial, you wrote a review for Filmgasm, I assume. I did, I did, yeah. And like, and like, what'd you give it? Like, what I rating? I, I think I gave it a seven because at the time I was afraid to give it a six because so, I was like, if people don't, you know, see this and they did, they think I'm an idiot. I don't want to. I don't want them thinking I'm an idiot. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't really. Um, I understand that, especially at that age, you know, and you're yeah. like, uh, ah, like, uh, you know, yeah. I'm, cool. I'm in a film class. I don't want anybody on this film class seeing me not like this and thinking, I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I, yeah, I think, I think there's a phase for every cinephile that you like have to go through like that. Right. Where you're like, Oh, do I have to like all these movies that are quote unquote classics? The answer is no. Yeah. Not everything, not everything's going to be for you. And, uh, on paper, this is like right up my alley, you know, like kind of just like uh, out there, like lots of just lots of wacky interpretations, tons of different essays about it. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I don't really know what like I would rate it, honestly. Like, I, I don't know. I have I have it at four stars on, on Letterboxd, but like, I don't really know. Like it sits at like a fucking beautiful 4.3 uh, like average on that. And people just love this movie. I don't really know exactly like what my feelings are about it, but I respect the hell out of it and what it's done and what it did at the time. Like this movie, there's probably 12 to 15 times when I was watching it this past time, a couple nights ago, where I was like, 
how the fuck did they do this? <laughs> like, still, 55 years later, 55 years, and we just hit the actual anniversary like a few days ago. <laughs> like, like what in the hell? How did they do some of this shit? And you look up how how it was done, and you're like, man, like Kubrick maybe outdid himself for like I, I love the guy to death, like I love his movies. And you watch you watch this, and you're like. I, obviously he, like his ad- adaptation of you know the shining and like a clockwork orange and those things are kind of like more like what i love about him but you're like filmmaking wise this guy fucking outdid himself with this movie yeah it looks incredible it still looks incredible i think you know every modern sci-fi film owes a great debt to 2001 a space odyssey 100 percent it yeah. completely changed what sci-fi films can do. Because prior to this, you know, we had like Forbidden Planet and shit like that, where yeah. it was very clear it was, you know, rubber spacesuits on a backstage lot and, a you know, a furry alien wearing a gorilla costume that got, you know, ripped off from Planet of the Apes. So this was nothing like that. This was real space. And that was new. You know, the moon landing hadn't fucking happened yet. People, yeah. this was... He got in. Like, I remember reading that, like, the government investigated him for stealing state secrets from NASA because he got it too right. He was too good. There's no way he yeah. didn't know. He didn't know about the moon landing. Like, he had to have known something. So, like, eventually they were like, "No, he's just really goddamn good at this." But I yeah. love that he he was he captured space travel so realistically. The government thought he was selling secrets to the Russians. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and. And it, the the like the the fact of the matter is he w- was he just like worked smarter not harder in a lot of senses like he used a lot of companies Nikon and you know these like major corporations built like appliances and different things to be on set so that I was like well it's them making it and it turns out 30, 40 years later this is how their products look and it's like how the like it's like he didn't even like he like yeah keep my hands clean that's on them. In 2011, uh, Samsung tried to, or uh, uh, Apple tried to sue Samsung for copying like the iPad, the tablet. And Samsung, no kidding, this is a real story. Samsung said, "Have you seen the movie of 2001: A Space Odyssey? They invented the iPad. They invented the iPad before Apple was even a fucking company." <laughs> Just oh, like, that's fucking beautiful. Still, still to this day, in in the 21st century. Like these things are like coming to fruition that happened in this movie. It's it's fucking insane. Like, so on that front, with that being said, like I, I think like there's a just a like a baseline respect that this movie just requires and deserves. Yeah. I at the time I was like, this is boring, fuck this. Now I'm like, this is boring, but I get it. It's like I yeah, yeah. I'm not the audience. I'm the guy looking for a narrative, I'm the guy looking for character development. This isn't for me. This is a film for the conceptual sci-fi nerds who want to see what space looks like when we can go to Jupiter. And this is it. Like, this is the closest we're ever going to get to going to Jupiter in our lifetime. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear that for sure. I have I have friends who, who are really into this movie and they just kind of see it as this experience, this kind of visual, just holy shit. Um, and, 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 you know, I, I think you have to give like, like people who who are visual like visual watchers and and i consider myself kind of in the middle like i I love just visual stuff i love the i love the medium of filmmaking but i also love dialogue i love good screenplays i love narrative i love good performances and this movie does not require a lot of good performances because there's just not you know a ton to hold on to his his focus 
Kubrick's focus a lot of the time is not is not actors. I mean, that's why sometimes in his movies, like Full Metal Jacket, it has no like major stars in it, but you're like, oh my god, everybody's perfect because he just just handles them so well. And then of course he does stuff like with Jack Nicholson and Tom Cruise that you're like, wow, that's a movie star just doing a Kubrick movie. But it takes a special breed to to, to be able to do do this stuff. So that the 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 cast in this movie is not like super impressive, right? It's not like, oh my god, look at that guy. That's just not why it's lasted this long. It's lasted this long because of those, you know, those those visual effects and practical effects, pre CGI, everything built, everything imaginative, and uh, that's that's fucking cool. Yeah, this is a visual marvel. This movie, and um, if you do like this world, but you're upset that there's not a lot of substance in it, you, there is a loophole. You can do what I did: read the book. Yeah, 2001 A Space Odyssey by Arthur C. Clarke. I read it to prep for this, and I'm so glad I did because I was able to insert that narrative into my watch and follow it a lot smoother. So definitely do that. It took me two days to read the book. So go, you know, find it, read it, and do it that way. I love that. Love that so much. Uh, I, I've not read it, but I've always wanted to. So I, I definitely will try to do that. Maybe next time I watch this movie in a few years, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. Because, uh, yeah. I, I've, I've like listened to people talk about this movie and from different angles and read different reviews like that are critical, but also some that are praising it. I, I love that about it. I love its longevity of just kind of always being divisive and uh, nowadays more leaning towards, oh, this is a masterpiece. Like this is one of Kubrick's true, true blue masterpieces and uh, nothing wrong with that. You know, um, one of the greatest uh, musicians of all time, John Lennon said he watched this movie for every single week for like years, years straight. So like, Holy shit, you know, I mean, Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd was approached to do the entire score and they scheduling conflicts happen. But uh, obviously, you, if you've listened to Dark Side of the Moon, you can guess what they were watching and what drugs they were on when they made that album. You know, uh, if you listen to uh, I have done this, I, 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 I've, I've watched the whole movie twice and then I've I've watched the uh, Stargate you know, interstellar highway fucking thing last 25 minutes of the movie. If you listen to the track echoes by pink Floyd paired with that, like turn the volume down on the movie and listen to echoes by pink Floyd. Wow. <laughs> Just really, really fucking cool. Pink Floyd, one of my favorite bands. So I'm, you know, I'm always down for that kind of stuff. The song's like 23 minutes long. So it kind of matches up perfectly. Makes you think they probably, <laughs> they were probably watching the movies thinking, Hey, let's write our own score to this particular stretch of the film that is very colorful very wild and was made that that those colors that are kind of running alongside as like a tunnel were made with like paint it's fucking crazy it is wild to think like you know the resources we have now to make a visually stunning film versus 1968's resources you really got to respect what kubrick and his team were able to pull off with this thing even if you don't like the movie you gotta just give him his props and just you know kneel before a filmmaker who didn't waste a second <laughs> he everything mattered every moment of that film was carefully constructed you know as per his vision all of his films were and you know he's a yeah he was a cantankerous weirdo who traumatized a lot of people but the work man the work <laughs> yeah no kidding, dude. The uh, him and him and Arthur, uh, they had because they like worked very closely on this thing. It's it's a dual kind of dual vision, 
yeah. and they over they oversaw everything. Like they're freaks about this. They had a studio in London, and and like when people would go visit it and like hang out and like work there, they would be like listening to classical music, <laughs> you know, fucking editing and doing building different props and models and and whatnot. It got nicknamed NASA of the East. <laughs> <laughs> across the across the pond you know uh pretty pretty cool they were like doing that cool of shit in 1967 1966 you know prepping for the release of 1968 uh just wow like holy shit man uh props like you said props yeah bunch of crazy assholes just doing their thing yeah and like fuck me i'd love to be in the room man i love being in the room for that just like like, (laughs) i feel like your very presence would irritate them because you're not part of the vision. They yeah. Would, they make like, you leave. Take, take that fucking silly head off. <laughs> you dumb Texan. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. Uh. <laughs> so before we go further into 2001, I do have a question. I'm curious. I think I know okay. where you're going to fall in this and I know where I'm going to mm. fall, but it's <laughs> worth asking. So I've seen a lot of sci-fi movies. A lot of sci-fi. Yeah. And I feel like <laughs> sci-fi, at least in film, falls mainly into two distinct categories. You've got conceptual sci-fi, which is films like 2001 A Space Odyssey and Ex Machina, for example. Mm. Um, and then you've got adventurous sci-fi, where you got Star Wars and you got your yeah. Starship Troopers <laughs> and your you know, fucking Guardians of the Galaxy. So I'm just curious... <laughs> If you, you know, if you had to place yourself in a camp, where, which camp would that be? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you know, a, yeah, 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 for sure. For, for sure. Uh, I'm like, I'm, I'm like the biggest Kurt Vonnegut fan I know. Uh, you know, big Philip K. Dick fan guys that were like, like hard, hard sci-fi, like hard to understand, wacky, weird as fuck. No explanation for a lot of stuff. Uh, and applying, you know, like Ex Machina is, is a great example of like a modern one, like a current, you know, one that's just not even 10 years old yet and just applies tropes that are timeless. And I believe Ex Machina in 40 years will be looked at as one of the best movies of the, the 2010s because it has that going for it. You know, it's never going to age. You know, it's always going to look good. And just the tropes and the kind of the, the character study part of it is just always going to be so so fun to dissect and that's like my favorite thing about it i i also you named the big one right away like star wars is the adventure sci-fi and i like don't connect with those movies so it i'm always going to lean towards the ones that are kind of going the opposite way of that and um but at the same time you see a lot of the stuff that's going on in 2001 and you're like oh i see what star wars uh took from this yeah all right (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And yeah, this was not, you know, this is not, you know, oh, what a shock. I thought I knew you. No, this is, yeah. But um, <laughs> I, <laughs> this is, I knew you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. I've, be, I've, growing up, I was very much in the adventurous sci fi camp. I love a good, you know, hero's journey in space kind of story. I think those are fun. But the older I get, the more I find myself kind of drifting towards the middle. Or I want an exciting story, but with some high concept shit that's going to make me think and you know reconsider the world around me. That's what I want from sci-fi. And I thought Ex Machina gave me that. They gave me both sides of that. Yeah, yeah, great story. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I want. I want some adventurous concepts. 
<laughs> that that one also helps just like Oscar Isaac. Holy fuck. You know, just like just a lights out all time performance. I don't see how he's ever going to top what he did in that movie. So that, that always helps. Right. It's like when someone just is lights out in a movie, um, you know, like, like uh, have, having, you know, the individuals that are like in a movie like Alien is like, well, that helps a lot. Everybody's fucking good in that movie. And you got like rising stars. You got people who are like character actors. Like it's just good hierarchy in that movie. And it just, it just works because it looks awesome, but it's also a good story and everybody delivered. So, yeah, I, I'm with you. I prefer that. Like I prefer, uh, you know, like the meeting of the minds, you know, um, I prefer a little bit of kind of out there. Whoa, holy shit. You know, silence for 15 minutes because space is silence. But I also love actors that are just fucking, you know, going nuts and doing their thing. So uh, I'm with you, man, uh, on that front. Yeah, I don't really like to, you know, throw myself into camps. I like I like to pick and choose my my cinematic experiences. I like, to, you know, a little bit from here, a little bit from there and find films that reflect that. That's that's what I like to do. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Good. Good. It was hard as shit to come up with a question for 2001 Space Odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's either hard or like really easy. <laughs> You know, but you could just be like, do you believe in time travel or do you believe in, you know, vortexes? Uh, yeah. I don't know, but that's like too broad. So I, I, I like that. And, you know, I think I think the main thing is if you're listening to this show, what camp do you usually find yourself in is kind of what we're asking. Are you a conceptual guy? Are you more of an adventure guy? Or are you like, oh, shit, I never thought about it that way. I'm in the middle. Nothing wrong with that. Exactly. Exactly. Very cool. Uh, so let's talk about production of this thing uh, this is such a wild yarn 2001 a space odyssey was an original idea conceived by stanley kubrick and beloved sci-fi author arthur c clark uh, they came together came up with this clark wrote his own novelization to be released alongside the film so the film's not based on the book and the book's not based mm. on the film they were written Correct. separately kubrick mainly took the baton for the film clark wrote the book so they both got to kind of push their vision in the, their respective mediums, which is kind of neat. Um, I, I I think that's so cool. Like to find a collaborator collaborator like that, like wow, what a blessing. You know, I mean, someone who's like willing to be like, I, I think Kubrick was like, I want to do a sci-fi movie. You know, I, I want to do this, and he found a guy who was like, I'm into hard stuff. Like so someone that matches Kubrick's insanity is like, wow, that's, that's a match made in heaven. Yeah. And it's interesting because I think every other film of Kubrick's was based on an existing story. Yeah. He loves, he loves him a good book, right? He loves yeah. him adapting his own. Yeah. Seeing, having his own vision, trying to make it better, uh, which I, I, I think is like extremely arrogant, but also really cool. And like, if you have that confidence go for it. It is. Yeah. It is funny. He's like, he'll read a story that he really likes and he'll think, yeah, I could make that. And then the first thing he does is completely gut the story and do it his way. <laughs> yeah. And like, I've read the shining, I've seen the movie and I'm like, I, I kind of like what he did. <laughs> I tried to read a clockwork orange. I couldn't understand it. Uh, Anthony Burgess is an insane writer. Yeah. I, I've, I've read that book a couple times and I'm like, he said, what? <laughs> but the movie weirdly, I could easily follow. <laughs> it's the same dialogue, but I can see what he's doing and I'm like, Oh, okay. Oh, so that brothers. means I'm going to yeah. rape this person. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> A bit of, bit of the old ultra violence. Yeah, <laughs> we gotta one day. <laughs> um, 
Oh yeah, but, uh, we'll video we'll video that one soon. I would love love <laughs> to do a Clockwork Orange. I'm obsessed with that one. It's one of those that you're like, I need an episode so I can explain myself because I know I sound like a fucking weirdo. Sorry, you know. Yeah, you are invited. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Clark, after this, he wrote like five or six more books because he envisioned this as an entire like ongoing story that he wanted to keep exploring. So there's a there's a few. There's 2010. And then he just like, you know, they're all years, like 3052 or whatever. I don't know. I've only read the first book. Yeah. Uh, so Kubrick, basically, he wanted to avoid the usual space fair found in film. He talked about that, how goofy it used to look. He wanted to make something realistic. And he was heavily influenced by this 1960 animated short documentary he saw called Universe, mm. which was hosted by Douglas Rain, who Kubrick hired to be the voice of HAL 9000. So he, he saw this and was like, oh, I'm going to take this apart and make a film out of it. And you're coming with me. And Hell yeah. Yeah, pretty cool. Uh, after Kubrick and Clark met and discussed collaborating on a sci-fi project, they spent the next four years conceiving this. Like they met and then they just bounced ideas back and forth until it became 2001 A Space Odyssey. That's That kind of patience is remarkable. I, mean, I can understand that doing with like a close friend, but somebody you just met like, let's spend the next four years building something. Holy shit. Oh, interesting, because we, we did that. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I can tolerate you. <laughs> yeah, and we're not we're not making a movie. We're talking about movies. <laughs> yes, that's a big part of it. Neither of us has an ego the size of Jupiter that's constantly it's, getting in the way. <laughs> I definitely don't. Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm somewhere like along the lines of Pluto, not, not Jupiter. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> like uprooting the whole show and like starting from scratch was like a two minute conversation. <laughs> yeah, it was like clearly something that's been just racking around in both our brains. And then, yeah, let's do it. Then we just did it. And it, here we are. <laughs> Second watch. <laughs> 2001. Fucking great. Uh, they ended up using uh, one of Clark's short stories called The Sentinel as a jumping off point, And that contained the the monolith found on the moon and all that so that became the the seedling for 2000 love love that scene fucking crazy how they made that the moon looks so real it's yeah. fucked up That's what the cia thought <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> people still believe that shit to this day man it, if you know if anybody could have faked the moon landing accurately it is stanley kubrick yeah and if, if anyone was like dark enough to think that it was like funny it's stanley kubrick <laughs> yeah he's the only guy who could like make of his masterpiece and then never admit that he did it <laughs> yeah basically the work alone would be enough for him yeah like i'll just die and these guys will just have to talk about it yeah <laughs> oh my god so Bastard. in 1965 kubrick announced this film as his follow-up to dr strangelove under the title journey beyond the stars it's a terrible fucking title. I'm so glad they changed that. Awful. Yeah, 2001 A Space Odyssey is so, yeah, just kind of like, huh? You know, what? Especially yeah. in 1968. You're like, 2001? The new the new century? Like, what? Yeah, it's like a, such, a mind, such a mind-boggling thing. Yeah, to the 2000s. Holy shit. <laughs> I love that. And yeah, it's just it's just genius. Yeah, that, that original title. Oof, boy. That's like a five-year-old, yeah. Other considered titles were Universe, just straight up ripping off the documentary he watched. Um, Tunnel to the Stars. That Yikes. sounds like a ride at Disneyland. 
<laughs> and Planetfall, which doesn't make mm. any sense. Planetfall sounds like a 2015 shitty like sci-fi action movie yeah. that stars like Aaron Eckhart. <laughs> Geostorm 2, Planetfall. It, yeah. Yeah, no thanks. God. 2001 A Space Odyssey was ultimately chosen by Kubrick as an ode to Homer's epic poem, The Odyssey. He basically thought space is the is you know as star trek says the final frontier it's the last place of exploration we've got as a species so a journey across the stars would be the idyllic odyssey of man in the future which makes mm. perfect sense and i'm like that's really good reasoning yeah no it's yeah it's, it's right there for you makes yeah. it's perfect mm-hmm. i bought the odyssey at a goodwill i'm gonna read it one day i i have it too i've, I've had it for years and i just uh, i don't know like i look at it and i'm like oh boy I know I've got like I've got Dante's Divine Comedy. I've got all these like classic books that I'm, like I like having, but when am I going to actually read these things? <laughs> yeah, I have a yeah. I'm, I like I don't read anything like but like novels and like fiction. Like that's like all I read if I do read. And everything on my shelf is like something that I've seen that I'm like, oh yeah, I'll buy that because I heard this about it. <laughs> You know, well, if, I'll buy like if I'm at Goodwill and I like I saw Brave New World for like a buck sixty, and I'm like, why not? That's a good book. I have read that one. That's a that's a damn good book. You know, I read that because of Iron Maiden. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Brave New World! And I was like, I saw the book one day at like half price or something, and I was like, yeah, I'm I'm cool. And I I, I read it, and it was like you know a lot of it went over my head, but I was like, it, it moved me. And when you read stuff in your late teenage years, your early twenties and you read stuff that's kind of out there, it's like super formative and a great experience. So I, that's why like I fucking sunk my teeth into Vonnegut, like nobody's business when I was like 20, 21, 22. And it, it's formed a lot of who I am. And uh, I, I owe that. I owe that to him and to sci-fi for sure. Beautiful. Yeah. I've, I recently, you know how I've been doing my random film watches where I just like have a randomizer. Well, yeah. I, I'm I've started doing that with books, TV, and video games. Like, oh my god, I am no longer choosing anything. Fate is choosing my entertainment. The Don't universe care. is yeah, universe is choosing it for you. So Fate. as soon as my thesis is done, we're picking a book randomly, picking a video game randomly, we're picking a show, and the films will continue as is because I've been doing those like three or four a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you've watched uh, my. I, so this is a fun little little story. So I was at work today um earlier and i was working with two of two of my two of my best friends at work and they were like oh like what's the last movie you watched and i was like 2001 a space odyssey da, 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 da. and then they were like um they know about letterboxd right they one of them has it one of them doesn't but they like know about it and they're like oh how many are you at for this year and i was like ah, oh, like 80 something and they're like holy shit and like one of them was like i've watched like two movies this year and I was like, dude, I have nothing. Like, like there's people out there. I was like, one of them I know. He's watched like 140. <laughs> so, and they were like, where does he find the time? And I'm like, he this is this is what he does, man. Like, that's that's his passion. Like, I I I I have other things I love to do. I love watching sports. And right now, basketball is coming down the wire. Baseball just started. Soccer's getting good. So I spent a lot of time doing that. And I was like, this guy chooses movies over that. So. That's just that's just how that's the way the cookie crumbles, man. And and they're like, oh man, I thought I was a movie fan. I'm like, no, you aren't. <laughs> no, you fucking aren't. <laughs> you think you like movies? You're like, sure, that's cute. But 
and not just you know not just you connor but there's people you know people that i follow on letterbox so i'm like oh my god they're churning them out man like and just same as you just just random just stuff like it's schizophrenic letterboxd accounts hundreds you know over 100 movies already and we're, we're in april so i love that i love that about letterboxd being able to track people that i follow especially friends be like oh what are they up to and i'm like oh this person's watched one movie a week come on man and there's connor three or four a day just, just boom boom I'm, boom i'm mcconaughey in wolf of wall street i'm you know you gotta crank those numbers up those are rookie numbers come on like there's a rookie now yeah I'm, I'm a rookie as far as i'm concerned uh not compared to some people but like in the world of cinephiles i'm definitely uh yeah doing like a one a day i'm like about one a day after three months i'm close to 90 that's that's where i'm at i i'm enjoying the randomizer thing mainly because now if a movie sucks i don't feel that bad about it because it's not like i picked it like i didn't waste my own time so it's no longer like that big a deal yeah and, and you know you talked to me about doing this and um man it's hard it's hard for me to it's hard for me because because i don't watch as much so i usually watch a movie at night from like 11 p.m to 1 a.m that's like my window for a movie right and it's like that's it for the whole day like i don't get i don't get in the second chance like that's if i don't like it like fuck that sucks because that was the one movie i got to watch tonight and so it's very rare. Maybe on my off days, I'll watch like a couple and I'll kind of do something random or like some old Disney movie that I haven't seen in a while. But I'm usually like, all right, I want to like, like I watched the three John Wicks in a really like back to back, like three nights in a row. And I was like, I feel good about that. That was, those were three good fucking nights, you know? Uh, and then I, you know, then I watched Space Odyssey and watched Point Break. So like, I'm like, that's a good five days in a row. I'm good with that. I have a hard time being like, let's just leave it up to fate because what if they pick a movie that I'm like, no. <laughs> I, this is tuesday and this tuesday is important <laughs> see i just you know i find myself with so much time and with that time i i gotta do something with it so of course I, yeah i fill out that time with randomly chosen movies and i've, I've admittedly i've already started the randomizer for <laughs> video games and television uh it's been a blast. Uh, books have been difficult because, you know, thesis, but that's almost finished. And then once I can do that, once I can start reading stuff for fun again, I have hundreds of books that I've been stockpiling for just such an occasion. Yeah, that's that's a great feeling, right? When you get to read again. Oh, man, you know, uh, Oof, I miss yeah. reading so much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, where were we? OK, so <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. I don't even know what 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 led to that. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> whatever uh, so the plan uh, was to write a novel together then write the screenplay together but both entities were going to be entirely separate and not based on each other but that didn't happen because that's impossible so they both just kind of stayed in their lane Kubrick wrote his screenplay Clark wrote his book they talked to each other randomly but like hey Dave was the guy's name right it's like yeah Dave all right so Dave okay cool and stuff like that keep it relatively in the same lane but there are some pretty big differences the book is very much you know, it goes more into the details of why this is happening, yeah. why why Hal's malfunctioning, what his like plan is for the ship, where Dave goes when he enters the monolith. Like it, it explains a lot more, which I like, but it doesn't explain all of it. It's still very conceptual, but it does give you more of a of a uh, a, a frame, which is nice. Yeah. Uh, early on, there was 
surprise, tension between the two writers. <sighs> Turns out when you've got one idea that two very intense writers are taking in slightly different directions, there's going to be pushback. Uh, Kubrick was apparently so dissatisfied with Clark's approach that he immediately sought out other writers to replace him. Like, as soon as they started writing, he was like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. I can't work with him. Get me someone else. And every other sci-fi writer in the business refused to take the gig out of loyalty to Clark. Oh, that's so cool. So Kubrick right, was that's... like, well, shit, I guess I got to do deal with you. And Arthur's like, yeah, I, I love you too, Stan. Yeah. <laughs> Stan. <laughs> Get a little of that Stan character. I bet he hated that. I bet he was always Stanley or Sir. Yeah, Mr. Kube. Yeah. Mr. Mr. Kube, there goes your there goes your job. Oh yeah. Oh, I would and yeah, I, I would have fun like just trying to troll Stan. <laughs> you just just try to get him to explode at the most innocuous shit. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Uh wouldn't be hard. Yeah, I, I feel like, yeah, Kubrick's obviously one of those guys who's like so clearly a perfectionist. Um, but even he, in this movie, even he let, like, poetry take its place a few times. Like, a few times he, like, let, uh, you know, uh, continuity errors or, like, just filmmaking errors. Like, like the leopard to the, the at the beginning of the movie. When he's when it's around all the apes and there's they 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 found a dead horse at a zoo that they like got donated and they painted it to look like a zebra, which is like wow. I mean, good god, the commitment is on another level. The leopard, though, if you pause it, I knew this before I watched it this time, so I did it. I paused it. You can see like the light from the the projector, the the camera that they were using, and apparently Kubrick at first was like, "What the fuck?" And then they were like, "Hey, man, like I actually think like." That's kind of neat. And he was like, he like saw the poetry in it and was like, all right, let's keep it. Let's keep that. Let's not cut it. Crazy. Wow. Crazy. Are you telling me that Stanley Kubrick, Stan, a perfectionist to the point of mental illness, put the film before himself? Yeah. How about that, man? Wow. I didn't think he could do that. That's amazing. (laughs) Me me neither. This is the first instance I've, I've ever, I've ever heard that. So pretty crazy. I guess he lost it on Barry Lyndon because that shit was nowhere present in The Shining. <laughs> yeah, no, no fucking kidding, man. Um, God, it, you know, anytime I watch a Kubrick movie, I'm like, I think I want to watch all of his movies now. <laughs> it just, like I was like, I haven't seen Strange Love in years. I, I haven't, I, I haven't seen Clockwork Orange in like a year. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't seen The Shining in maybe a year. So like, I'm like, ooh, I, I, I kind of want to just watch all of his movies again. Yeah, I have that beautiful Criterion Blu-ray of Dr. Strangelove. I got it Amoeba in L.A. that I haven't opened yet. Ooh. Maybe it's time. Just mm. waiting. Just waiting for you. I love that movie, man. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's just so fun. Oh, fantastic. Uh, so once they, you know, agreed, you know, you, you stay in your studio, I'll stay in mine, and we'll talk when we have to approach to this. Um, they ended up talking to Carl Sagan famous astronomer used to have that i think he had a show in the 60s where it's like you know he was the mr rogers of space basically yeah yeah good that's a good way of putting it yeah Yeah. um they asked him how best to depict alien life on camera because they didn't want just you know guy in a 
you know, rubber suit with a laser gun. They wanted a more realistic approach to extraterrestrial intelligence. And Sagan told them that alien organisms would likely bear little to no resemblance to human beings. And depicting that is next to impossible. So it might be best to simply suggest a sort of alien superintelligence rather than try to depict actual beings. So Carl Sagan is to, is to praise for that decision. And, and, and not that decision for just this movie, but that decision for yeah. movies that come the next couple decades. Right. You know, you think about, think about what Spielberg did in the late seventies. Thank you. You know, <laughs> thank, thank you for that. Right. Um, that's, I, I, that's so genius. Like the less is more idea. Um, I, I, I read something similar to that about Carl and that they were for a while, it was Kubrick, his wife and Arthur were like building like clay models, especially Kubrick's wife was like trying to figure out like, okay, what would they look like this and that? And they like ended up looking like gargoyles. And when that happened, when Carl was like, all right, like, no, like, like don't try. Cause when you try, it's going to look phony. And <laughs> the, the, the Kubrick's their I think their oldest daughter, said that at their like apartment in London uh on, like outside in the garden they just had like the gargoyle models lined up around the garden like fuck I want one of those that's <laughs> so cool yeah uh, I want a Kubrick gargoyle that's, that's yeah cool. I want a I think her name's Christiane uh his wife uh, uh I think that's what her name was and I'm like I would love to have a Christiane you know handcrafted mini gargoyle that was intended to be an alien for 2001 a space odyssey that sounds great <laughs> are there photographs of these i'd love to see these i i don't know i honestly i could have i got like lost earlier today doing research on this movie and i was just like man there's just there's so much there's so many articles so many different things about this the making of it so many documentaries i was like shit i should have i could do a lot i like i and i have no problem with it even though even though it's not one of like my favorite movies of all time I respect it so much and like what it did at the time that it came out that I'm obsessed with learning about how did this happen? How did they do some of these shots in this movie? Some of the, the practical effects. Like I just, I just want to know, you know, um, I always feel that way when I see a sci-fi or horror movie that I'm like, what? Uh, please show me, show me the art of this, you know, and that can be done, man. You can dive into this movie and get lost for a month straight. Yeah. I, I've seen, yeah, I, I saw a lot of uh, a lot of docs and a lot of books written about this thing because this is you know it didn't happen. You didn't. People don't always change the game. The game changers stand out because people are yeah. thinking in ways they've never thought before, and that's going to stay with people forever. You know, Star Wars is probably the next sci-fi movie that did that, and you know we'll never stop talking about fucking Star Wars. No, no, no hell no. <laughs> So it's kind of neat. It's it's cool. I wonder, you know, I guess Avatar, probably the most recent sci-fi movie to kind of stay in the, you know, make people think like, what was that? But it didn't have the same kind of, just visually, at it, least. It, it, yeah, it doesn't have any, like, what did they mean by that? Yeah, it doesn't have any of those moments. It's pretty, like, pretty basic story. It's like, oh, Pocahontas, all right. Yeah. You know, like, we, we've seen this before. The, 2001 is like, this guy has a different take. This guy has a different take. This guy thinks it's about religion. This guy thinks it's about evolution. You know, all these different ideas. And, like that's what's fucking cool about it. Yeah, true. Uh, I thought this was just fucking mean. Uh, so the film music was supposed to be temporary. 
it's all classical pieces and it was used as a placeholder while composer Alex North wrote a score. So all the, you know, all the, all the film music was just like, you know, let's keep it there until we can get something that's ours. But Kubrick was like, you know what? I like the temporary music. We're going to keep that. But guess what he, guess who he didn't tell Alex North. Alex. Yeah. North found out at the premiere (laughs) while he's watching the movie (laughs) and not his music starts playing and he's like wait a minute what why (laughs) yeah good god man i mean infuriating like just uh i would love to hear that score though i would love to hear that that's is it somewhere is it somewhere i can there's been pieces of it have been uploaded to youtube like people have rescored the parts of the film with his music and i gotta say I prefer the classical music too. It adds a certain like Dude. You know, universal availability to the film. Yeah. Yeah. It's like so silly at times, but it, it, it ah, but so necessary. I, when I was watching it, my wife was asleep and then she woke up at one point and was like, what are, you, what are you watching? And I was like, 2001 space odyssey, 1968 <laughs> Stanley, Stanley, the freak Kubrick. And she was like, She's like, I've, I've heard that song in like 4,000 other movies, you know, the dun, 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 dun. and I was like, I was, yeah. And she was like, I've seen that like in cartoons. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, this is, this is kind of like, this is kind of where, where it started, you know, like 50 over 50 years ago. And she was like, I kind of want to watch this, you know, because Brianna is like obsessed with space and is like an astrology freak. Like she loves reading about all that stuff. So I was like, I was like, you should, like, you should in your own time. Like, I, I don't think I want to watch it that soon after I've seen it. But I was like, you should, like, you should take some time to like watch it because I, I do think she, I do think she would dig a lot of it, uh, and would be fascinated just by the spectacle, just the sheer spectacle and the music. How kind of like jolly it is at times. You're like, ah, look at the moon. <laughs> you just feel like a little kid. It's cool. Yeah. Well, for everyone involved, this is a pretty pleasant experience until Hal starts murdering people. Like, yeah, and how oh, I can't wait to talk about how. Yeah, yeah. best uh, character of the goddamn movie. Fucking <laughs> only character of the goddamn movie for the most part. <laughs> only character that has like emotions. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a fucking robot. <laughs> so at the, I thought this was hilarious. At the premiere screening, two hundred and forty-one people walked out of the theater, uh, including yeah, including actor Rock Hudson, who said, "And I quote: Will someone tell me what the hell this is about?" <laughs> yeah, Rock Hudson. That's such. I can just picture him like this. This man, this masculine. Like, what the fuck am I watching? <laughs> I'm Hollywood, bitch. You know. <laughs> uh, I love that. Yeah, and Arthur C. Clarke. Uh, you know, he was there. He was like, oh, oh boy. And he said, "If you understand 2001 completely, we failed. We wanted to raise far mm. more questions than we answered." With that, I'm like, ugh. like as a writer, I'm like, why would you want to do that? To me, that's, that's if, that, if I write something and no one knows what the fuck's going on, I feel like I failed as a writer. That's that that right there. I love that. That's like the fundamental difference in us as view, you and I as viewers. Like, like I love I love David Lynch. You know, like I love guys that are just like figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> I pass it to you. I'm not going to tell you what's going on. Like, I love that. Uh, I I read one interview. It's pretty rare, and I don't know why it's rare, but 
But uh, Kubrick does ex- explains like what he thinks the movie is, but he's like, I don't, I don't really know. He's like, but this is what I think I meant by it. And he's the point is that you guys should figure it out on your own, like for yourself, you know, and there's beauty in that. And there's also just, yeah, total and total fucking anarchy. <laughs> it's just like every man for himself. You know, it's not, it's not telling you what you're watching. It doesn't have any like moral, you know, compass. It's just, it's just like here, take it. And I, I, I love stuff like that. <laughs> and, and you hate it. <laughs> this, this past the buck bullshit of like, I don't know. Yeah. You figure it out. No, you wrote it. <laughs> It's your job to tell me what this is. It's my job to understand it. Yeah, that's that's I, I totally understand. I just it's a it's definitely a, a mindset of buy the ticket, take the ride, and don't ask where we're going. <laughs> Destination does not matter. You 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 you're here for the ride. <laughs> I I can't wrap my head around that. I just can't. I, I yeah, I understand. Yeah. I I know and. <laughs> and it, it, it's annoying sometimes because <laughs> it is because because here i am like here's here's like i'll spend so much of my mind capacity on a a film and i have a hard time moving on from that film anytime i watch like mohan drive i'm like i'm like stuck in it for like a week after and i have a hard time watching anything else I'm like it's still i've seen the movie like 20 times and i'm like man i just fuck what is it <laughs> you know and, and that's like that's just power. That's like the power he, like a, a filmmaker like that has over me. Yeah, see, you know, I, I guess maybe it's because I watch so many different things at once. I don't really stay in a certain like one filmmaker's lane anymore. Like I'll, mm-hmm. you know, I'll watch today. I watched A Good Day to Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> Along Came Polly. Fuck yeah. And about half of Raiders of the Lost Ark. So, wow, like, to stay in those worlds all at the same time would put me in a fucking mental ward. So I think my brain has learned yeah. once the hour and a half or two hours or however long the film is, once those are up and I've written up my blurb, we're done. It's like <laughs> you're out, move on to the next one. Like I have that ability and I'm so thankful I do. I mean, occasionally one slips through and it's like, the fuck so that does happen sometimes but very yeah. rarely yeah uh, it, it, it only happens when i'm when i'm like rocked by something you know uh or, or even something that i feel like i do have a hold on uh, uh it can stay there for a while and i'll watch something else but my mind might not be totally in it and my heart might not be totally in it and it happens every time i watch something from someone i love you know uh if i watch whiplash i'm like man like no movie's going to be able to follow that shit up. <laughs> like, well, like, what am I going to do? But, 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 I, 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 I admire both and both ways of watching. And I, I can do the like knockout three in one day, like you'd like random just stuff, especially if it's a movie like Good Day to Die Hard, where you're like, ah, I don't, yeah, I don't need to think about this. And along came Polly is like, Sheerly, like strictly there for entertainment. Just like here you go, eat some popcorn, hang out, watch one of PSH's most incredible performances. <laughs> Just total heat check on the basketball court performances, and uh, and then and then Raiders, which is like okay, like this is a movie, it's a proper film, and I, I will think about it and have a good time. Yeah, maybe it is. You know, it's 
it's a quality thing, you know, if I'm going to, you know, I can eat three candy bars in a sitting. I'm not going to be able to sit through like, you know, three, four course meals. So <laughs> it is, you know, yeah. I don't know yeah. if I could, I could do a David Lynch, you know, three in a row or a Paul Thomas oh, Anderson I, three in a row. Like I, I, don't, I, don't shit even, out. I don't even, I don't even do that. I'll, 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 I'll I, I have no problem like watching like Kubrick strange love one night, full metal jacket the next night, but three in a row, like, Eyes wide shut, clock or orange, space yeah. odyssey. Like fuck me, I can't, I can't, I don't, I don't have it in me. No way. Yeah, like a long time ago, when, when you know, during the beginnings of filmgasm, we were in like Roman Polanski for like a month. It, it's rough. It was creeping on me. It was starting to, you know, it, I, was, I was thinking, yeah, this is this is an unpleasant world I have to live in right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. Um, yeah, when you when you uh stranglehold yourself like you're watching uh habits it, it is like like dangerous uh I, I i love like a like a mini collection like i love when criterion does like three films by this filmmaker i'm like oh i that's attainable i can do those like in you know two or three nights that's like that sounds nice and that's that's a good way of like exploring a director without losing your mind you know I love when they do stuff like that. I think Criterion's really good at kind of accumulating and building collections that are attainable, but also challenging. Like here's three films by Celine Sciamma, uh, you know, a French filmmaker who's got awesome, awesome movies, but they're also accessible and like an hour and a half. And you're going to laugh, cry, have, you know, they're just good movies. So like, I love that, you know, but, but yeah, that Plansky thing we did was like the most ambitious thing we've ever done. And it was like one of the first things we did. Well, you know, whenever we wanted to, we wanted to jump in the deep end, but we didn't quite learn more than one way to swim. Yeah. And we thought it was like eight feet deep and it was more like 35 feet deep. You know, the, we went off the diving board and we were like, we sunk and we were like, oh boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> it took, you know, this whole experiment is, a, has been a, you know, a major source of growth and I'm just happy we figured our way to a manageable place. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Uh, I love the fact that we, mm, you and I, the episodes we've done back to back are Lebowski and Space Odyssey, like uh, 1998, 1968, you know, 35 year anniversary or 25, sorry, and and 55. Like, I love that. I love that we just kind of did that and we didn't really think too much about it. And uh, one that we both seen a shit ton and love and could talk about all day. And Space Odyssey, one we're both kind of like, ah, like this is tough to grapple with, but it's also, I get it, I respect it. And we can still talk about it for all, all fucking day. It's cool. It is cool. It's cool. Oh, okay. So Clark would later express some concern that the film was pretty hard to follow and he was kind of regretted that. So that's why he decided to write more books to kind of yeah. plot the course and help people figure this out, which I don't know. I mean... I'm not going to read all those books. You know, if I, if I watch a movie, I didn't understand. I'm not then going to go read like eight books so I can figure it out. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's a special kind of nerd right there. <laughs> yes. yes, it is. <laughs> uh, Kubrick was actually tracking NASA's race to the moon, uh, which I love this. He was worried it was going to siphon some of the wonder from his production. He was yeah, like, yeah. fucking real life moon landing is going to happen. And then people are going to be as excited about my movie. Crazy, man. That is the, the most that, egocentric that statement yeah. I've ever heard in my life. Like this 
achievement of mankind is going to overshadow my film. It's, it's not surprising. It's just like, I love that he was vocal about that. He's like, how dare the moon landing and interfere with my production. It's only, only him, you know, that, that competitive nature is, is bonkers. Yeah. Religious people were like, the, you know, probably like, Oh, it's an affront to God. Well, God was in England and he agreed with you. <laughs> oh geez that's i love that that's a that's a t-shirt oh this is if this guy didn't have a camera like he would have been committed and just like been screaming at a wall somewhere like this this guy was crazy yeah for sure yeah i mean he first became a like was a photographer when he was younger and it's like whoever gave him that camera started just created a monster i'm sure whoever gave him that camera probably saved some lives that too right yeah it goes both ways you're right unreal oh so 2001 a space odyssey has an imdb score of 8.3 oof solid (laughs) jesus rotten tomato score of 91 percent. i thought it'd be higher okay yeah there's a few people like me out there yeah (laughs) critics consensus reads one of the most influential of all sci-fi films and one of the most controversial stanley kubrick's 2001 is a delicate poetic meditation on the ingenuity and folly of mankind yeah spooky (laughs) well done staff writers i'm sure somebody wrote that and was like oh bill you gotta see this (laughs) look at that right look at that Take that upstairs, man. Yeah, <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna love this. <laughs> and then and then there's some of those like snippets that are like so bad. <laughs> it's like they, everybody just had the day off that day. All right. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I I don't know who gets to who gets to who's the critic who gets to write the consensus and how did they get that consensus? Yeah, whatever. It's a no fun, idea. It's a fun blurb to throw at the end of our production segment. It, it, it is. It's always fun because sometimes you get pure comedy out of it. Yeah. Uh, the film grossed 146 million on a budget of 10.5 million. Thank you, stoners. Yeah, yeah. Thank, thank you, hippies of the late 60s and early 70s for coming out. Yeah, they, you know, all the star children came out to, <laughs> to see their god. <laughs> Yeah, it's God. I love that so. I would it, like if I could be at any screening ever. It's probably that. You had a time machine. It's the first place you'd go. <laughs> yeah, it's up there. It's up there, and I just learned about it. You know, uh, there's there's so many cool things I could revisit. But to watch like a young guy like in a tank top and fucking like fucking swim trunks <laughs> run run through a screen in in Los Angeles. And claim that he just saw God while watching a movie. Fuck yeah. <laughs> and ruining it for everybody else because the screen broke. Yeah. Oh, what a guy. Uh. We're talking like cinematically. I think if I had a time machine, I'd go back to 1960 and go to one of the early, early screenings of Psycho where nobody knew what was going to happen. And I'd watch people lose their fucking minds. Oh God, that's that'd be a fun thing to just talk about for like a couple hours. It's like more like the ten screenings you'd want to go to. That'd be fun, dude. That's that's a good idea. That's a film gasm. 
<laughs> it's raging. Uh, yeah, I would love to do that. Um, even something as simple as like July 1975, seeing Jaws with the people, you know, with the people, with the families. Like that'd be so sick. <laughs> Just being a fucking American, you know. <laughs> yeah, I want to go back awesome. in time to like the 1890s and watch people like have a collective seizure when like that that video like the first ever film of like footage of a train mm. coming and they were like oh my god like they thought the train was gonna fucking fly out of the screen and kill everybody so they went insane and they're like we gotta get out of here and then they're like yeah. moving pictures what what's this yeah what's love this to, love to see Tom Fullery. yeah <laughs> oh yeah it'd be cool if you could yeah, if you could like track the history of film like go to like the 1890s like 1920s you know kind of jump around and, and watch it as it's unfolded Definitely go back and tell people preserve this shit. Don't just throw it in a back room somewhere. We're gonna lose it. Yeah, straight up, man. Straight up. God, that'd be cool. There is one Oscar-winning performance that no longer exists. We'll never be able. Emil Jannings, 1927, "The Way of the The Way of All Flesh." That film has been lost to time. It does not exist. The only footage of it left are like a few clips of the beginning and the end that you can find on YouTube. But the whole film has been lost. It's gone. Ugh, that's so sad yeah i know it's crazy it's like the one we'll never be able to finish off that like particular milestone unless somebody finds a copy of the way of all flesh which yeah who's holding out yeah <laughs> kubrick i'm sure in some nazi basement somewhere someone's got an emil jannings film collection that is in there it's in there <laughs> oh god <laughs> oh, that's incredible i yeah, i had no idea that's a yeah. good Oscar. That's a good piece of Oscar trivia. Yeah. Speaking of Oscars, 2001 was nominated for four, winning one. It won visual effects, which, yeah, <laughs> deserve that. Yeah. I mean, it's the like, best visual effects like of the 20th century. So, yeah. <laughs> and that's the only Oscar Kubrick ever won in his career was for visual effects. That's insane. He was also nominated for best director for Kubrick, uh, best art direction, and most puzzlingly, Best original screenplay for Kubrick and Clark together. Yeah, that one's pu- uh, a, bit, a bit puzzling, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's like where, what, what screenplay? Like, I bet that you know that the screenplay itself is probably like fifteen pages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. There's there's a total of if you add it all up, it's forty minutes of of dialogue and uh, a hundred, you know, or hundred and no, a hundred. Yeah, a hundred minutes of of silence or, or music or you know whatever jesus h christ it's insane man that's a crazy ratio yeah a lot of alarms too like a lot of alarms in this movie like, i kept freaking out my dogs oh yeah i mean there's like a shrieking noise that if your volume's up you're like oh fuck me turn you gotta turn it down and uh yeah there's there's multiple instances of just like ugh, like shrieking uncomfortable just noise yeah. And then, you know, and then there's the the moments of silence are also just like, uh, like, get me out of here. Like, just unsettling. Space is freaky as fuck. Like, just moments like that. Yeah. It does make, you know, the thing like, like films like Star Wars and, you know, Star Trek, they make space seem like very accessible. Very, you know, like pew, oh, pew. It's just a two hour <laughs> flight to the next planet. But 2001 is like, no, it's going to take a few years. <laughs> space is mostly just a void of darkness and it's freaky to think about that yeah i i I, i've always loved that that part of this movie when they 
see the monolith on the moon. And then it's 18 months later where they're like finally on this mission to Jupiter. All right. You know, um, that's like, yeah, that, that feels real. Yeah, very much so. Uh, there was a sequel. One of Clark's books did make it into production. 1984's 2010, the year we make contact. Uh, a rescue team is sent to Jupiter to uncover what went wrong with the Discovery mission, particularly with HAL 9000. The film has a loaded cast, including Roy Scheider, Helen Mirren, John Lithgow, and the return of Keir Dolia as Dave Bowman and Douglas Rain as HAL 9000. Uh, I put it in my list. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. That's a that's a rainy day one. Like, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. That was up for five Oscars, one more than 2001. Isn't that crazy, right? How that, how that happens? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I was thinking with you, with your boy Roy Scheider there, figured you'd be on board. Like, oh yeah, I love love me some Roy, love me some Lithgow. Oh my god, you know. So, <laughs> and Helen Mirren, you know, uh, she's not not too bad either. So that's a yeah, it's a fun cast. Yeah. What what year is it? Nineteen eighty four. Took a while. Okay, eighty four. I like that. That's an interesting time for yeah, sixteen years later. I like that. Yeah, well, I'm sure you know the year nineteen eighty four. People were thinking of you know futuristic sci fi, yeah, yeah. probably a lot. Yep. Yep, that's uh, for some some guy Orwell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never read any Orwell. I gotta I gotta change that. Oh, you should read that book. Yeah, that's just like a yeah staple. It's good. good that shit. And Fahrenheit four fifty one. I want to read, and of course, you know, Animal Farm. Yeah, Animal Farm is like quick as shit. You'll do. You could do that in a day. Yeah, it's a very easy book to just breeze through, but also like got some awesome ideas. Cool I haven't thing- read. I haven't read Fahrenheit. I was supposed to read that in school. Like when I was like a freshman and I was yeah. like, fuck this. But then when I, when I was like gone from high school, I saw animal farm for like a dollar somewhere. And I was like, Oh, you know, I'll read this. And I read it like in a day. And then I read 1984 in my own time, a few years back. And I was like, yeah, oh, this is great. The people it, were right. It is a completely different animal when you're choosing your own books to read than when somebody's telling you to read it completely different animal. Yeah. And just the, the nature of like, what teachers try to force you to do when you're reading rather than just find your own interpretation and your own like joy in it. You like have to turn in, like you have to like take quizzes on certain chapters and turn in papers on. It's like, I don't want to do that. I want to enjoy the, the, the fucking entertainment, not, not answer your dumb question that you made up from your interpretation when your interpretation's wrong. <laughs> like, I, I, I hate that idea. Like as, I'm 15. <laughs> let me let me just enjoy the let me enjoy the entertainment. I read somewhere or I heard I heard somewhere this quote. The best teachers are the ones who tell you where to look, but they don't tell you what to see. 100 percent. That's my teaching philosophy I, right there. You know, I wish I'll, I had some fucking teachers like that. I did not. Yeah. Cool thing about like living in a college town is people drop classics off at my local Goodwill all the time. People who are done yeah. with their classes and they're like, I don't want this shit in my house anymore. So I'll scoop up great books for like a couple bucks all the time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's great, man. Uh, and, and people are so disinterested in paperback now. Nowadays, they're just like, oh, I can just read it on my fucking Kindle. Yeah. I, I will never, never read a book on my phone. Kindle, I will never read a book through a screen ever. Great having a collection of like fifteen hundred digital books until you know your daughter like drops it in the toilet or something. <laughs> it's like just oh, I just can't I, I just can't do it. Turning the pages is like the yeah. most fun thing. Yeah. Feeling the weight of the book, looking and seeing how far you are in it, like the the, the just, grain yeah. of the paper. Reading ah. a book is an experience. 
and, and especially like a book that's passed down. Like I have some books that I've bought. Like, like if you go to, to half price, there's like 40 copies of Catcher in the Rye. If you look through all of them, you might find some kind of note at the front or some kind of like letter that someone wrote if they gave it to somebody else. And I'm like, that's interesting to me. I love stuff like that. So like, I'll always look if I'm buying a book that there's multiple copies of it. I'm like, I'm going to find the one that speaks to me, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a big part of it. Yeah, I know what you mean. I've got a very worn red paperback copy of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that I received from a great friend once. <laughs> Pretty good book. <laughs> yeah, it was a great book. Yeah, God, yeah, that one's just, uh, I, I have my copy here, but like, I, yeah, that one, that one means a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's one, of the, one of those I read very quickly because of the movie, and then you put them together and you're like, oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> good job, Milos Foreman. <laughs> <laughs> straight up uh 2001 is currently streaming on hbo max if you do want to watch it for yourself so there yeah. you go uh yeah this is one of the all-time you can find it at any given moment it's going to be around forever 100 so with that let's give this film some awards <laughs> here we go here we go uh, we have the quentin tarantino award for the best line or quote of the film we have the thomas newman award for the best music moment of the film we have the Phil Seymour Hoffman Award for the best performance of the film and the John Carpenter Award for the best scene of the film. So why don't you start us out with your Tarantino Award? Um, so like you you know, like we've said, there's not like a lot of, you know, a lot of dialogue there, but but my favorite like line reading is de- is definitely Hal. <laughs> Cause Hal has these different Hal is less robotic than the human characters in the movie. Hal has like mo- <laughs> Hal has moments where he's about to die, where he's like, "I can feel it," you know, "I'm afraid," and he's got moments where he's like an arrogant piece of shit, like, you know, just what do you think you're doing, you know? Uh, and, and he's got like a real emotions, you know. Um, he when he's talking to um, Frank, and he's like, "Oh, you did a drawing." And like Frank draws all these motherfuckers on the ship, except for Hal. And Hal's like, what the fuck, man? I'm here too. You know, these people keep doing stuff to Hal. They don't want to play chess against him because they'll he'll beat their ass, you know, in chess. So they're like, oh, yeah, fuck you. We're not playing with you. Hal is eventually like, fuck all of you. I'm going to kill every last one of you until I'm the last one on the ship. So I love like that part of Hal. And I love his different kind of like voices, even though it's all obviously computer but there's there's like difference in in the way he talks like in different scenes. My favorite is the classic line. I'm putting myself to the fullest possible use, which is all I think that any conscious entity can ever hope to do. It's like such an awesome fucking thing for this villain of this movie to say, right? Uh it's obviously foreboding uh and you're like, wow, this thing's scary. Pal 9000. They wanted to name it I am uh uh IMB, but they couldn't. <laughs> They wanted to name it after a real company, and they were like, "No, fuck no." IBM, sorry, IBM, and I, the company was like, "You can't, you can't do that because it's like a villain." <laughs> and Kubrick like accidentally spilled the beans about that. Was like, "Oh shit," you know, like because that would have added like a more real element to it. You know, this is like a thing that's going to be around. Um, this company, it's like a game changer when it comes to technology. And they're like, no, you have to change it. So he found three different letters and, you know, H-A-L, HAL is, is what they went with. <laughs> yeah, it it needs a name. Even if it's a computerized, you know, acronym name, it's a it's an artificial intelligence, you know. It's it's great. It's it's the only one truly aware of what this mission is. 
Yep. Which is crazy. You know, they didn't think to, to tell the human astronauts on this mission what this is, but they trusted everything to the AI and said, they told the thing, the mission matters above all else. You don't say yeah. that shit to a robot. <laughs> no. Yeah. It, it's, it's remarkable. It's remarkable stuff. So like that segment, the journey to Jupiter is like, in my opinion, just by so far the best part of the movie, because that's when you get substance plus visual, like spectacular visual stuff, the stuff inside the space station, inside the pods, you're like, my God, this is mind boggling how they've made all this stuff work and how cool it looks, how iconic it all is. And you get pretty good dialogue at times. The, the lip reading scene, fucking sick. <laughs> like when Frank and Dave are talking to each other and, and, and Hal is, is watching them and starts reading their lips. Like, so cool. Such a great, great scene in this movie where it's quiet. You can see them talking. You can see Hal is like, I got you bastards. <laughs> It's, it's so good and so like that segment of the movie like raises this thing up you know oh i i agree it's the only part that yeah. i could really be focusing on here <laughs> so so with that being said like the whole ape beginning is like just not for you at all i actually the ape part i don't mind i, I like the idea the book explains it better because it yeah goes into like you know moon watcher or whatever is you know is hungry but now he's thinking of other things like how to use this boat it's like oh okay so it's learning gotcha arthur nice but yeah. uh yeah I, I love i love the use of the bone like that we go from weapon to weapon you know like we we like constantly are like fucking ourselves over <laughs> yeah the first act of humanity on this planet was beating the shit out of something yeah yeah <laughs> I love that. And like, and, and like tribalism where like there's apes versus apes, humans versus humans is like obviously what we've been doing forever. So it, that stuff's cool. Yeah. Um, my line is also from Hal. Yeah. yeah he's, he's got the best shit. <laughs> the eternally never blinking red eye of Hal 9000. Always watching, always present. It's creepy. Uh, it's when Dave decides I got to shut this fucker down. And he's, mm. he gets into the, you know, he puts his suit on, he gets into the Hal's brain, if you want to call it that. And Hal starts trying to talk him off the ledge. And he says, look, Dave, I can see you're really upset about this. <laughs> I honestly think you ought to sit down calmly, take a stress pill and think things over. <laughs> I love that stress pill. Yeah. And Dave's just like, sure thing, Hal, as he's unplugging shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love that Hal's like, buddy, buddy, come on. Like that's basically what he's doing. He's pleading for his life in the way that he can do it. And he's like, can't like just chill, you know, have, have a pill. Take it through. Like, do I need to die for this? And Dave's like, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> you, you need to die for this. <laughs> yeah. You've killed everybody. It's just me now. So <laughs> yeah, fucking crazy. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. I love that line where he's just like, come on, man. <laughs> I, I if, fucked if, up. If, We've if, all done it. If if you're Dave in that scenario, are you like, uh, okay, I need to kill this thing, like disconnect it and do this all on my own? Or are you like, okay, now like I need to lean on this thing even more because I don't know like how I'm gonna like return home. Well, see, if I were Dave, <laughs> which God forbid <laughs> I'm ever, you know, in that situation. I've, I refuse to go in the ocean now. You think you're going to find my ass in outer space? Fuck that. 
but um, <laughs> there's a vast <laughs> darkness and I can't see past it. I'm not going in there. That's my rule. <laughs> Good. <laughs> but, um, I would have to disconnect Hal immediately because the whole thing is like, yeah, if I, you know, I might be able to work something out with him if, if he, you know, to try to stay alive. Cause I don't know if I can do this by myself, but here's the thing. He doesn't need me in the slightest. He could kill me as soon as he has an opportunity and he will, because now I am a threat to his well-being, and his well-being is protecting the mission. So I'm going to die if I give this thing an inch. And Dave's thinking that he's like, I can't let up or I'm di- I'm going to die. And all he wants to do is at this point, see earth again. Yeah. That's tough. I, I feel like part of me would be like, I'm going to do whatever Hal says until I get home. Not going home. Home's not the mission. Yeah, no, it's not. But maybe till the mission's over, and I, I don't know. I, it's just it's such a Dave's in such a fucking shitty spot. Yeah, it's uh, figure my way out to Jupiter alone, or live potentially with a homicidal robot that's already killed everybody I know. Yeah, and just and, and like Frank is his buddy. Like they're clearly they're they're buds, and so he he I mean he he kills Frank. Like he just straight up you know no mercy kills frank and is like i'll just set him adrift i just don't care i love that shot of the yellow suit boom 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 just rolling it's like oh god that sucks yeah i remember thinking like ah clarone clearly watched this didn't he (laughs) yeah yeah i think uh who was it um who's the motherfucker that made uh ad astra um um what is his name damn it here i keep it up I keep wanting to say James Mangold, but that is just not it. Um, James Gray. James Gray. James Gray. There we go. James. I think it was a James. Yeah. He, yeah. I think he might have watched this movie too at some point. I mean, it did It did just on the director's poll for Sight and Sound get number one by voted by like 480 directors around the world. Like, I, yeah, I think I think they like this movie, those directors. <laughs> Are we ever going to get a number one movie that like deserves it? Well, you know, Sight and Sound for a long time was Citizen Kane, right? Um, that movie, that movie, that movie's pretty, pretty, pretty good. <laughs> I like that one. Uh, it's just so, it's just so hard. Like you're calling a movie the best of all time is like you, you just can't, you just can't do it. It's impossible. There's too much now. All time has too much. You know, there's too many contenders. Everyone's taste is different. My top ten is vastly different. So. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That that's like that's like the beauty of it, and also the fun of like list making is like, oh, let me see what these people think. You know, like collectively, they voted. You know, I, I do like seeing that because you're like, oh, 480 directors. That's a lot of fucking people. Where most of them had 2001 as their favorite movie. Crazy. I guess from a director standpoint, when you uh, yeah, you're, you're definitely thinking about different things. I agree. Like, yeah, I'd love to see if, what the screenwriters vote. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if if you're James if you're James Gray and you're that's what you do you direct films you make movies you you have to be in awe like you just have to be like as far as that this medium of filmmaking you watch 2001 you're like I can't do that so that makes it better you know we, we look at movies way differently than those people do it's true I didn't like Ad Astra either yeah, I've only seen it the one time in theaters. I would love to rewatch it because I have a buddy who's like, dude, you got to see it again. You got to see it for a second time. And I'm like, I know. 
I know. I also love Brad Pitt, so like I'm okay with rewatching it. You know, I love Tommy Lee Jones. I'll, I'll give it another go one day. Just, just not now. Yeah. Ever since Texas Chainsaw Massacre two, anytime I don't like a horror movie, Caleb's like, "Oh, just, just watch it again." It's like it's not universal. It's not universal. It's not. It's not. It doesn't mean every time you watch a movie a second time, you're like, ah. It's, I made a list. Uh, I made a letterbox list to see how many times this happened. Uh. I can tell you right now. I think it's like what fifteen at that. Um, twenty-five. It's happened twenty-five times out of you know, like I mean, three thousand movies. <laughs> twenty-five times you've watched the movie for a second time and changed your mind. Yes, positively. <laughs> positively is the big one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because a lot of times now, when I watch something that maybe I liked ten years ago. I watch it now and I'm like, oh, I was, yeah, well, I was, you know, I was, I was a teenager. So, yeah. 18 year old Connor didn't know shit. <laughs> 18 year old Austin was a fucking moron. <laughs> I'm okay with admitting it. Jesus. Uh, I was arrogant. I, I'm like, I'm going to be a teacher. I'm going to be a great teacher. I know what I'm doing. I don't have to study. You fucking idiot. You set us back so, so many years. Yeah. <laughs> I wish yeah. I could kick his ass. I really do. Like you know, you know, in Shawshank, when Morgan Freeman's like, "I like to talk to him, talk some sense into him." Whenever he says that, I'm like, "I want to fucking strangle his ass." Yeah. What <laughs> you like, why did you make those decisions? Good God, she never liked you, you son of a bitch. Why? Yeah, Morgan Freeman's so calm and like, yeah, like I just want to, you know, give him a pep talk. Like, I want to yeah. fucking punch him in the face. There will be bruises. Yeah, yeah. there there will be blood. Yeah. We we obviously shouldn't have time machines because we would have we would erase our own existences by accident. Probably, yeah. Because like like previous us at age eighteen, we'd be like, "Fuck you!" Like, I can take you on, yeah. Future me, let's go. <laughs> you know, uh, oh, Jesus. Okay, l- let me like American Hustle, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, okay. We got the Thomas Newman Award for the best <laughs> music moment. Uh, definitely a lot to pick from here, especially if you're a fan of classical. Uh, what do you got? Uh, I, Blue Danube. I think. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. I have to. It plays multiple times. It just makes me smile ear to ear, but it's also like eerie in this movie, um, and has been parodied like a thousand times. And every time I'm like, "Oh, that's cool!" Like you can trace it back to this piece of art, you know? Yeah. Uh, but man, there's some yeah, there's some great stuff. I mean, the opening, the opening is just fucking awesome. Blue Danube, unfortunately, has been completely ruined for me by the film Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps. Where, I haven't seen uh, that one. Yeah. Got to hear Eddie Murphy do that whole damn thing with farts. So thank you, Eddie Murphy. Uh, uh, that just sounds gross. Uh, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'll skip that movie. Uh. It's a scene that manages to ruin Armageddon 2001 and Star Wars all in the span of about five minutes. <laughs> what, a, what a miserable movie. Hey, so I went with, I mean, you know, it's, it's the most iconic bit of music from the movie. It is the opening. Also, Sprach Zeratustra by Carl Bohm. Holy yeah, just, fuck. It has been parodied to death now, but at the time, whew, I mean, what dude. an intense way to get you, in, like, seated. <laughs> dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, just. Like, uh, like this a Stanley Kubrick production. You're like, yeah, I, I, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> just like, uh, you know, just, that's just so sick. Uh, 
yeah, you can't you can't get better than that as far as an opening piece of soundtrack or score in a movie. It's like the most like pretentious thing, but also the most badass at the same time. It's really cool. It is. It's basically, you know, Kubrick atop the mountain just being like, look what I have wrought. <laughs> Uh, yeah <laughs> have you seen um have you seen four christmases the movie yes so not a great movie but vince vaughn is lights out in it and there's this scene where he's playing jesus <laughs> swaddle that baby <laughs> that's, that's how i think kubrick is hands raised with like a jesus outfit on like yeah <laughs> fucking sit down <laughs> swaddle that baby uh, <laughs> that movie it's not good. Four Christmas is not good, but for whatever reason, Robert Duvall is in it. Sissy Spacek is in it. Like, what are they doing in this movie? <laughs> I don't understand. But that scene alone raises it like to a movie that I like to watch every Christmas because of that scene. <laughs> Swaddle that baby. Uh, <laughs> so good. I saw that one time at the movies and that was it. I was like, this is fucking horrible. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's bad, dude. But it has like this soft spot in my heart. I, I, I you know, I love it. It's fun. I'll revisit. It's been like 15 years. I, I'll revisit. Uh, anything it, just for that scene alone. You know, it, it's, it's just so worth your time. I remember, I think like, didn't like Vince Vaughn's like best friend marry his mom? Uh, yeah. Mary Sissy Spacek. I can't remember who the friend is, uh, but like John Favreau plays one of his brothers, and the other brother is uh, like a country singer, um, like Tim McGraw or someone like that. I can't remember who it is. I can't fucking remember. But they're just like these, you know, and Robert Duvall's their fucking dad, and he's just like, you know, real tough, like macho. Uh, <laughs> an absurd movie. <laughs> But but yeah, again, I have a soft spot for it. Yeah, it just reminds me of that. Anytime I see something that's like, ah, oh, look at me, I always think of Vince Vaughn from, from that damn movie. It's great. That's fantastic. Um, I remember, um, I'm, I'm, you know, this it's been parodied a hundred, you know, hundred times, fifty-five years old. But one that I remembered pretty well is History of the World Part One uh, by Mel Brooks. It parodies the opening with the apes and they're, you know, his is like, you know, the dawn of man begins now and the music's the, you know, the and then all the monkeys just start jerking off. (laughs) Like, that's the first thing they do. (laughs) And then it goes to cavemen. (laughs) That's all we get with the apes. It's just just cranking it. Yeah. uh, It just got parodied in the Barbie trailer. The TV. Yeah. It did. Greta Greta Gerwig's Barbie. Barbie is the monolith. Margot Robbie, like massive, and you know, yeah. As people are looking at it, it's still fifty-five years later. It's just going to continue getting getting um, honored and made fun of, which is awesome. Barbie is like the most, like the biggest coin flip I've ever seen of a movie. It's either going to be, dude, I know, a, a satire masterpiece or a failure that completely sabotages Greta Gerwig's career. I, I, I'm with you. I'm going to see it because I'm like so curious about, and I also love Margot and I love, love, love Ryan Gosling. So like, I, I'll see it for like those reasons, but I'm like so interested to see how people kind of handle it and how critics like it, you know, or, or dislike it. Can't wait. I mean, hell, if Dungeons and Dragons could get a 
a decent film, I mean, maybe we're in, you know, a weird timeline. <laughs> we certainly are, man. Alternate, alternate. Ever since everything ever all at once, you know, things have just been upside down. Yeah, we're in the alpha verse now. Things are things are looking a little, a little better, a little better. Cinematically, <laughs> not everything else still sucks, but cinematically, we're getting a little bit. Yeah, this is a movie podcast, so we are going to look at, you know, the positivity of movies. Yeah. Speaking of. The Philip Seymour Hoffman Award, best performance. I think this is a no-brainer. Do you? I I do. <laughs> uh, I mean, I don't know. I, this is I have I have two that I kind of have like been toying with. Um, I, I mean, if you're just asking me like, what do I get the most joy out of? It's Douglas Rain as Hal, like a hundred percent. But Kira Dulier is like the main guy and. There's like a few scenes that I'm impressed by, but he also is like very robotic. So like between them two, if I'm just going with my heart, I'm going Hal, man. I'm going, I'm going Douglas Rain. Uh, <laughs> and, and the reason I don't have like a problem with choosing a voice performance is because I, I respect vocal performances so much in animated movies and cartoons, whatever it is. And so what Douglas Rain does in this movie, I think is is so awesome as Hal. Great like great fucking villain but also you have like some empathy for him so uh yeah, just quality stuff you have chosen wisely yes it's how douglas ran um yeah. i mean he had to you know play an emotionless formless villain we only see through a unblinking red eye yeah. who also has to appear sinister and self-serving and creepy and I think he did a phenomenal job landing all of that. So, yeah, Douglas Rain. That's the first thing I wrote down. I'm like, I know no one's taking this from him. <laughs> I, I love that. I love that. Yeah, I, I think Kier does his job well, but there's not a lot at hand, you know, as far as, like, acting goes. But there are there are moments of, like, just the, the, the tone of his of his face and the way when he the, – the scene that almost got, got, it, got it for him, for me – was the scene where he's like, open the fucking door. <laughs> like he's like talking to Hal, like, you bastard. Like, I like I, I want to just stab you, but I, I can't. So please, please open the door. <laughs> when you're at the mercy of an AI who has decided that you are a liability, uh yeah, I'd be pretty goddamn panicked. And he handles himself pretty well. Like I'm surprised yeah. he's not freaking out. Uh, exactly. Yeah. All right, I'll give you that. Yeah, but but ultimately, yeah, my like that's kind of my head kind of went there, but my heart is yeah, it was with Douglas. So good shit. I agree. Uh, the John Carpenter Award, the best scene of the movie. Where are you going? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I I like I like a lot of different bits of this of this movie. Um, I guess this is a good chance for me to just kind of gloss over some stuff. So like the beginning of the Donna Man thing, I think it's a good bit. I love that he hired mimes to play the apes. I thought that was that was really cool. That they're not really actors; they're people who can express things without using words. Um, then he got a bunch of zoo noises recorded and used them for 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 these apes to sound sound real. Uh, I love using a, a real leopard. That's fucking insane. And then finding a getting a dead horse, donated and painting it like a zebra. Incredible. So like right from the get go, you're like, my god, this move, this this movie's committed to what it's doing, and the monolith, it, the monolith is scary to me. It's fucking frightening. This just like block 
this like black block that you're like, what? It has, it has no words on it. It has no nothing. And, and Kubrick wanted to, wanted it to be like a prism, like wanted it to be clear. And then that made it like, he, he tried that. Like they built one that was like glass and it made it very hard to film because you know, you know it's glass. You can, ima- you can imagine why. So they like everyone was like, dude, like you got to change. It's got to be like a matte, like matte black, like a like just solid block. So that's what we get, right? Um, so that whole bit's good. Uh, I, I like some of the production design that that happens now in the next phase when we are with um, um, uh, Haywood, Haywood R. Floyd. You see, like the Clockwork Orange, you know the the weird, like wacky you know, kind of post-apocalyptic, weird, like the red chairs that are in there uh, when he's like walking around. I love the way, like the the fucking like Skype call that he does to his daughter. I'm like, how the fuck did they know that we were going to have that? <laughs> we're using it right now. It's fucking crazy. I love that scene when he's like, now tell mom I telephoned. You know, I love that. It's very like human, very real, pulls you in. You're like, okay, cool. I like this. So I like that stretch. Then they have the, the land, you know, they go to the moon, they see the monolith there and then the noise happens. And then we have uh, my favorite segment of the movie, which is traveling to Jupiter. And you get that shot. It's my favorite shot slash scene of the movie with the astronauts jogging. Wow. <laughs> Just completely mind boggling how, how this is accomplished. The patience of the scene is really cool. And it's one of those things where I'm like, man, I would love to do this for a living. It's like one of those moments in movies where you're not just like, ah, I love watching movie stars have the, the camera pointed at them like Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt. I like filmmaking and I like like artsy shit. And this movie is filled with stuff like that. And this particular scene is the one that moved me the most this time around where I was like, whoa, man, that is just fucking badass. Like that is just really cool. The vision for that scene uh, is, is awesome. And when they're the way they film them when they're see- sitting and eating like the futuristic food out of the little trays. That stuff's awesome to me. So that's always the first time I watched it. And this time I watched it, that's like the part that I was like, Whoa, like this is sick. Like this is kind of right up my alley. So uh, I'm going to stick with that. I love interstellar highway. I love Stargate. I love that boom through the vortex scene with Dave. But like when it comes to just my personal preference, I love that from 18 months later to boom, like right there, you're in the ship with them with Dave and Frank and you're watching these guys just do their thing, do their routine. Uh, I think it's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much took us through the whole film there. That was cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I, I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted to be clear that I do, <laughs> I do like, I do like this movie while I, I don't think it's like, I don't want to call it overrated because I get why it's like revered. <laughs> But I also am not like personally putting it on like my top fifty list or whatever, you know. But like I get, I get it. Like I really do get it. It's not like over my head or anything. Like I, I understand why people are obsessed with this thing. But you can respect films that you don't like. Like I do that all the time. One hundred percent. You have you 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 have to do. Like yeah. if something's good, you got it. Got it. Yeah. Call it good. You know. More so, you know. There's a lot of films I like that I do not respect. Like. <laughs> That happens too. Uh, oh, well, tons, tons. Yeah, there's. I mean, like you, along came Polly, bullshit movie. But like, I love it. Yeah, I just have a good fucking time. I don't sue me, you know. Yeah. Rain dance. <laughs> it's Either because one. of that. It's yeah. because of that. I'm always waiting for that scene. Like, I could watch PSH do fucking anything and and, and just start crying, even though he's being funny. You know. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, it's all subjective. It's all personal preference. And, you know, you are what you eat. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, yeah, uh, I do want to say that the uh, the unfolding of the monolith in the book is like 10 times scarier. Just the Good. way everyone Good. builds it up and they're like, you know, you're not going to believe this. Like this thing, we don't know what it is. And like everyone's just like panicky and Haywood's like, what are you talking about? It's like, I can't, you just got to see it. And it's, it's that, done so well. <laughs> that scene, I think, could have been the best scene in the movie when he's having the meeting with all the other all the other guys and he keep it's 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 too intellectual for its own good that scene the dialogue where it's like i I feel like they should have been more movie making rather than like realistic making in that scene in particular not the whole movie but that scene when he's just like now the secrecy of this is very important it should have been like laying it on thick like listen you motherfuckers if you tell anybody about this you're gonna get your ass kicked and you're gonna you know you're gonna get thrown in prison you know what i mean like they should have fucking laid it on thick that like if you tell a soul about this monolith, your ass is done. Like, you're toast. And, and, and it's more like, all right, gentlemen, any questions? You know, it's just like, ah, I get it. It's trying to be real. But, like, sometimes you got to make movies, <laughs> you know? Clark pulled that off, though, because in the book, everyone's fucking terrified, but trying to hold themselves together. And in the movie, mm. you don't get that. You're just like, okay, so this is, like, th- Thursday to them. They found aliens. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a normal meeting. I'm like, this isn't a normal meeting. This is fucking nuts. You found a three million year old like thing buried on the moon that predates human civilization and was clearly left there by aliens. But you're acting like this is, you know, a daily briefing of, you know, you're going with a new company for the coffee crystals or some shit. Like, come on. Be afraid. We know you're afraid. Yeah, it's okay to like, hey, let's bring in Al Pacino. Come scream a little bit. You know, like, it's okay to do that sometimes. Like. I, I I get it, but I'm also like, man, they could have like that scene could have been like awesome. Like it could have been really cool because the buildup for Haywood and when he goes and sees those other doctors and they're like, something's going on on Clavius, you know, watch out, yeah. like there's an epidemic or whatever, and he's just like, oh, I can't talk about it. You're just kind of like, okay, is this a big deal or not? Because like Haywood's treating it like, ah, oh, that's interesting, very interesting, you know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Clark, and it, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe hire someone other than William Sylvester to play Haywood, and you might get you might get a you know more like kind of riled up performance. Get like Gene Hackman in there, you know? Yeah. Well, Clark, you know, he had he does that by throwing in the occasional like you know Haywood walked away, you know, seething that he couldn't reveal the real truth to his like old friend, and like the truth was eating him. He couldn't believe what they'd found and things like that. And it's like. Well, shit, what they find? Like, you get invested in that shit. That's why I read it in two days because I couldn't put it down. Oh, that's cool, man. I love that. Yeah. So it's it's, it's, it's only it's only like two hundred and fifty pages, right? Or yeah, about that much. Yeah. It's not like super long. Okay, nice. Not dense either, which I was very surprised at. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you've never seen two thousand one, a space odyssey, and you're like two and a half hour trippy sci fi movie, this is going to be dense. <laughs> no. No, like there, there's like a lack of explanation. <laughs> it's if anything, it's fucking hollow. Like, yeah. be careful how you handle this film. If you drop it, it will shatter. <laughs> I love that. That's that should be on the poster. <laughs> Ultimate oh. trip. <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful. Um, <laughs> I ultimately went with you know, open the pod bay doors. I mean that that whole yeah. sequence is once Hal reveals his intentions and. Dave is like, it. 
it's just me versus the machine. And uh, yeah, it turns into something else. It, it, it takes a brief turn into horror and stays there for just a little bit. But in that bit, you, your eyes are glued because you're like, finally something. Yeah. No, it's brilliant, man. Brilliant stuff. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, and you know, then he goes to like a nice hotel room, becomes an alien fetus god. So you know, it it is what it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the the going through the vortex and then like seeing himself grow old and like die and then like turn into it, it's like, oh, this is like this is this moment in this movie where you're like, okay, there must be an explanation. Then it's like, nope. But beyond, like, would an explanation, any explanation, have worked? It would have people would have been like, oh, it's tacked on, or I'm even more confused. They never would have been able to pull that off. It, yeah, I I agree. I, I think the ending is like ridiculous and should be. Yeah, it's just, this is conceptual sci-fi. I you know, Arthur Clarke was like, you know, if you understand this movie, we fucked up. And yeah. I, I kind of love that. I mean, I hate it, but I love it at the same time. Yeah, there's like a like I, irony to it, you know. It is. It's a great cop out. I'm going to start doing that. If my, if my thesis defense doesn't go right, I'm going to be like, well, if you understood it, I I failed. <laughs> I think I think a lot of great storytellers simply don't know how to end things. Oh, so yeah. am, ambiguity is like the easiest way to just be like. The See best it. skill you can have as a writer is sticking the landing. It happens so rarely in film, books, TV, and everything. Yeah. Mm. Figuring that out is beautiful. I don't have that skill. I'm bad at ending things. Yeah, I think it's I think it's like if you can master that, like you, you, you I don't know, you can I, I think I think a lot of great writers are either like in camp A or camp B, like they they like see a destination, they're like, all right, that's my destination now. Like let's just get there. And like we when we fill in the, the blanks. And there's some people who are like, I'm just gonna start writing and see what the fuck happens. And they're like, oh, you know, you know, space space odyssey happens or or whatever happens. Um <laughs> Something like Parasite happens. Bong Joon-ho was just like, oh, shit, 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 shit. Oh, okay. You're like, this is good. We got to stop here because like, I could just keep going forever, you know? And I don't know. There's like something cool about both of them, right? Um, I think I think for both of us, we we love something like Vince Gilligan's Breaking Bad where it's just like, mm-hmm. That was well, I like awesome. A, I like a map. I like to know that the guy I, I'm watching, like their work, they cared from beginning to end. They laid it all out. They knew what they were doing. They knew where they were going. And, you know, they added in things along the way, but ultimately the structure stayed the same. I like yeah. that. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, it's good shit. They, uh, there's, you can, you like can't complain when it, when it's like that for you. It's just like, here you go. This is, take it, grapple with it, have fun. Exactly. Oh, cool. Well, let's, uh, let's go to Letterboxd for, for 2001 yes. a space odyssey let's check out what's uh, in the box so much good shit what's in the fucking box i knew this was going to be just like nothing but you know oh kubrick's masterpiece and just <laughs> shit like that and i was half right there's a lot of people on there like me but a lot less nice about it <laughs> 4.3 out of 5 which is fucking bananas that is that's 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 nice that's real nice is that the highest that, rated film we've talked about so far? Everything Ever at Once, I think, has a 4.4. Ah, oh, thank um, God. But yeah, I mean, this is one of the, this is one of one of like the classics that we haven't covered on this show. Um, and not just 
it's not like an English, just an English speaking classic. This is like a revered, like international film. Yeah. And I want to start with somebody who hated this more than anything I've ever hated. I mean, wow. Yes. Like half a star type. Half eight. a star straight up. Yeah. I read some of those uh, earlier today. They're just so funny. Like, I don't like the movie, but I'm not trying to tear you down for things that you like about the movie. Cause that's just me. half a star half a star is saved for like things that are on purpose bad you know i didn't give a good day to die hard half a star yeah like i I don't i don't know if i've given a half a star to anything i gave half a star i think to reefer madness yeah that's funny (laughs) yeah yeah but i mean yeah come on i'm gonna give the you know weed turns people into psycho killers yeah that's gonna get a half a star yeah, fair enough. This is what Mary Conti has to say about 2001. <laughs> oh, this, I was dying reading this. 2001 A Space Odyssey is quite simply the worst thing to happen to cinema ever. <laughs> That's quite the accusation. <laughs> <laughs> it's forced profundity has caused millions of people all over the world to force themselves to like what is quite simply nothing more than an exercise in style. I don't know if people are (laughs) forcing themselves to like this. Uh, No. Kubrick, (laughs) Kubrick has no idea what he is doing here. His film jumps around with little to no sense of unity. The great filmmakers of the world create a series of events that contain clarity of information. Something Kubrick couldn't bet his life on. <laughs> the great filmmakers of the world. I guess Kubrick's not one of those. Uh, that's great. What oh. is the purpose of what is going on here? Is there any coherent message? I have heard suggestions that it is Kubrick's message about the future of humanity, but what future is that? Does Kubrick even know? Well, no, clearly, as we researched, no, he didn't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're going to like this. This is Transformers for the art house crowd. (laughs) Oh, put that on a shirt for me. I would would wear that every day. Pure style over substance. Nobody actually likes this film. They just like to be seen liking it. (laughs) Man, what, 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 who hurt them? Like their friend took them to a screening of this and like built it up. They're like, you're going to, you're going to love this. This is one of the greatest movies ever made. It's 35 millimeter. I guarantee you, they said that. And this person was like, you son of a bitch. You lied to me. (laughs) God damn. I love that. Yeah. I love, I love reviews like that, that are just like, fuck you. I'm against the grain. These guys who do these negative reviews are never like, I, it just wasn't for me. I didn't really care for it. They're always like, this movie's the spawn of Satan and how dare you like it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I read them on purpose, like of movies that I like or, or 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 just like conventionally good to me. I love finding those people that are just like so angry and they have to like, they're doing the very thing that that they're like hating on. They're like, I, I have to make this my identity, like hating this thing, just like they're making fun of people like, oh, they have to like it for their own identity and for like for other people to see them like it. It's like, OK, cool, neat. Like, that's fine. I'm sure there's people out there who do 
say they love Space Odyssey and they don't even know what's going on. That's with every piece of art. Every piece of art is going to have people who are just kind of like follow the masses and yeah, I like this too. Cool. But there's still people out there who genuinely like the movie and, and have reasons for it. And like, there's people who love this movie and have reasons for it. And for you to just like discredit all of that is like, what's wrong with you, man? <laughs> you, you're the one with the problem. Cause if you, if someone's like, this isn't for me, two and a half stars, I got bored. Fine. Fair enough. Fair enough. I'm like, Oh, I, I'll sleep at I'll sleep at night. I'm cool with that. But when someone goes out of their way to just tear down a quote unquote classic, just like just to be mean and negative is like, man, you're not. I would like hate to hang out with you. Well, look, I, you know, I didn't care for the movie either. But to say that Kubrick has no idea what he's doing here is like that's that's the only thing going like like for sure is going for it is that he does know what he's doing. Yeah, if he didn't know what he was doing, I can see this absolutely falling apart very quickly. But the guy directed the shit out of this movie and basically, you know, moved sci-fi films forward 20 years in Hollywood. Yeah, like, yeah. I, I love to go to that person's account and they probably have like on their under their favorites, like Empire Strikes Back. You're like, okay, cool. See, problem is though, that is also a really good movie and there's no way to win with these people. Like there's no, exactly it's like yeah yeah I, fine i get it but like if you like that movie look back 10 years before like you, you, there's this one over here i know it's like you know we both have pieces of that like you know you very much are in the art house camp and i'm very much in the you know i like a lot more you know blockbustery stuff but we're so damn reasonable that like we still hate these people and we wouldn't want to talk to them uh, i would yeah i would never i also would never want to hang out with someone who's like this movie is the end all be all, you know, like I don't want to hang out with that guy oh, either. Dude, I fucking despise star Wars fans. <laughs> like, yeah. They're, they're, yeah they're, they're, they're the worst. Like Ugh. they're the worst star Wars fans. And I'm trying to think of other movies. That's, that's kind of it there. There are, I'll admit. And like, I'm a big fan of, but like there are some Lord of the Rings fans out there that I'm like, all right, like calm down. <laughs> Those <laughs> they're like, those, I'm gonna learn, I'm gonna learn languages. Like, okay, dude, like chill, take a stress pill. <laughs> <laughs> There's those people who are like, you know, acting like Zack Snyder's the second coming of Christ, and they're like, no, no, it's coming back. We're gonna get Justice League too. It's coming back. Like, you yeah. know, those people are crazy, and then the Marvel fans have started to become assholes too. So it's yeah, I don't like fandoms, like they get in, you know, they start acting like this is gospel and suddenly I don't want to be associated with you anymore. And, and, and acting like, like, are you on the cast and crew? Uh, okay. Like, now, what's your you're, investment? You're, you're, you're a fucking moron who spends $15 every week to see this shit. Like, uh, like no, know, know what you are. Come on. Like you're, you're an audience member. Get over if it. I, if I was a producer, like with 350 million bucks invested in this thing and it tanked, I would be extremely pissed and I'd have a valid reason to be upset. Of but yeah, I don't, I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. When people, when people are like so angry about like the way Marvel movies have gone, I'm like, you're going, <laughs> you bought the ticket, you know, like I'm, I'm not in love with what they've done. Like, but I'm also like, I have a brain and I'm like, it's not that easy to make infinity War an end game over and over. It's not happening. Like get over it. Like get over it. It's that's just the way it is. You know? And if we, if all of them were in game and infinity war, 
you'd get bored, all right? Because they'd all be the same, just like, oh, that was good. That was great. That was great. You'd, like, get warped, you know? Like, you have to have the random weird Eternals and, you know, Wakanda Forever and the, you know, and uh, Doctor Strange into the multiverse. You have to have those. You just do. At the end of the day. It's just the way it goes. It's a movie. It's it's a movie. No. Yeah, I I believe they can change your life, but I also think that they don't need to um, like make your life depressing. <laughs> yeah, they can change. They can change your life. They should never change your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they shouldn't make you so bitter that you're like your day is ruined. That just that shouldn't be the case. Don't name your kid Thanos, and don't <laughs> bitch on the internet out. about it. <laughs> anyway. Uh, <laughs> Love that. Love that rant. These rants that we go on. Yeah. It's the, it's the best. You know, we've, we kick down the fence and we're just going rogue pretty much every time. I love it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Unplugged. Yeah. <laughs> this one's from Hania. So people in the 60s thought that 2001 would be the peak of human intelligence and space travel, but all we got was low waist jeans and Shrek. Five stars. <laughs> uh, that's brilliant. <laughs> That was Shrek. That's all. That's the entire 2001, just low waist jeans and Shrek. I'm sure, you know, some other stuff probably happened, but that's all anybody remembers. That's also one of my favorite things about Letterboxd is you can, you can like treat it like, oh, I'm going to write a full review and I'm going to write like paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs. And some people do, mad respect to those people. But there's also people up there who just put like a sentence and you're like, it's like Twitter. Like, I love that too. I've only done that one time. I'll usually do my three paragraph, you know, yeah, diatribe. But when I watched the happening for an episode of Beyond the Bad, I just wrote Mark Wahlberg talks to plants, and that was it. Yeah, yeah, I love that. That's all great. I wanted to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I think I think there's one of this movie that I saw that was just like space is neat. <laughs> well, sick. <laughs> Four and a half stars. Space is neat. Yeah, that's a t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. This next one's from Eric Hatch. A monkey gets so excited with his bone that an astronaut with a shitty computer turns into an adult baby. Five stars. <laughs> adult baby, five stars. Fuck yeah. <laughs> Dave the baby. Star oh. child. Giant I would love if, if this was a prequel to like the boss baby. Have you seen that movie? No, because I refuse to watch a baby in a suit doing adventures. I don't care. It's not that bad. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny. I watched it with Willow one day and I was like, why am I laughing? <laughs> All right, I'll make you a deal. When I have a child, I will watch The Boss Baby. Yeah, totally fair, right? There's a bunch of movies I've watched that I thought I would never, never go near. But then Willow's like, <laughs> that looks fun. And I'm like, ah, well, fuck it. Why not? And you know what? It's been nice. There's like, there's like a catalog of Willow movies that like I would just have never gone near that she's like all about. And I'm like, that's neat for her. She's four. She didn't she, she know what the hell is going on. Uh, but I but I do. When I was watching Space Odyssey, I did think to myself, when am I going to show her like these? Or do I just like or do I be that parent who's like not going to like force art down their throat? Like, this is what I love. So you're going to love it. Do I just let her find it? Yeah, you can't do that. You can. If she comes to you looking for recommendations, then yes, but don't be like, you're going to sit down and enjoy this Kubrick movie. 
at age 14 she's like yeah. i don't care you're gonna give her a va- a vile hatred of film that's gonna break your heart <laughs> yeah I, I don't think i'm gonna do that with with like anything like i i've kind of always despised that when people are like i'm gonna like force this thing upon this is this goes with a lot of categories but like obviously movies is like my my main thing with her and so far i've just let her like i'll scroll through stuff and she says stop i'm stopping that's what we're watching that's what we're doing obviously i'm not gonna like stop on you know fucking you know takashi miike's audition but like if she like sees something she likes on whatever disney plus or netflix or whatever and i'm like yeah sure let's watch it i love picturing you just like (laughs) scrolling through shutter and willow's like stop and you're like nope okay that's the the rule yeah you like scar her with like the sadness (laughs) oh Ugh, I just I feel like I need to take a shower after thinking yeah. about that. Like, oh, that, uh, that Brianna's chewing you out. out, and you're like, she said stop. Brianna, when I, I got home the other night, and Brianna was watching John Wick 3, and I was like, what the fuck are you doing? And she's like, well, she has... <laughs> she's, to be fair, like I sat there for a second, Willow was just locked into whatever, like she was watching her, a movie on her iPad with like headphones on. I was like... I was like, okay, I guess, but like, holy shit, this movie's intense. Like, like there's there's some insane act. Willow will usually look away from if something like you're gonna love this. She was looking through my DVDs because um like her her like this like tablet game thing she uses charges close to some of my DVDs, right next to the F's. And there's a copy of Fright Night. And she saw she saw the spine of the movie and was like, I don't want to watch that. <laughs> because <laughs> because there because there's like a vampire on the bottom yeah. of of the spine of the the dvd and, and she was like i don't want to go near that and i was like good <laughs> so she's like already got this like eh, like no thanks like we have a um what do you what's his fucking name uh god damn it uh tom hardy venom we have like a venom poster in our hallway and when i'm holding her and i walk past it she's like uh-uh like nope and i'm like she has like this already this like nature about her that's like i don't want to go near that it's probably not going to be good for me she's four <laughs> I'm, like these people are smarter than i am these little children like I, I can't believe it it's crazy i i have my own theory about that i think that stems from that time you watched hellraiser with her like as an infant like a newborn yeah. on on your chest i think that's where that comes from I watched so many fucked up movies with her as like a tiny, tiny little blob. She would just be like asleep in my arms. She was like, absorbing just, that shit. I'd just be fucking locked into whatever dark demon shit is, is on the screen. And, and, yeah, and she's just like, blah, 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 you know, <laughs> fucking, I need food, you know, or whatever, not speaking, just blabbering. And, and I, I'm like, <laughs> Jesus wept. Oh my God. <laughs> it's crazy, man. You know, uh, but yeah, one, obviously, once they get older, you're like, oh, you got to watch it now, man. Like you watch what you say and watch what you show them. Well, speaking as somebody who grew up as, you know, in a cinematic family. That's pretty much how it worked. You know, I my fa- my parents had a tape collection and let me just kind of look at it and put on stuff that looked interesting. And for me, that was Back to the Future and Roger Rabbit and Beetlejuice and these films that became foundational to me. The older I got. You know, I was exploring the collection wider and looking at stuff and finding stuff that I didn't like. And sometimes my, my mom and dad would be like, that's too, that's too heavy for you. Don't watch that. 
So I just wait till they went to bed and watch it anyway. <laughs> and they were right. Yeah. Yeah. Your, your curiosity yeah. stemmed from them. Yeah. And then, you know, when I found out like, oh, people make these things like, oh, Tim Burton, who's that? And then I'd start looking at his films and it just kind of became an organic process. And I had other family members chime in. My uncle's like, you know, you might like Quentin Tarantino. And then I went, you know, into that. And it's yep. all about, you know, when you're ready, hopefully people around you will be able to influence you with, you know, recommendations and filmmakers you might like. And I think you're not going to have trouble with that. Not at all. Not at all. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping she even has a taste that like broadens my taste. Like, I hope that happens too. That'd be really cool. It already happened. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's happening right now. And I hope it continues that way. <laughs> That's beautiful, man. That's great. Um, this next one's from Hunter with a like accent mark over the E. Hunter. Uh, Hunter. <laughs> oh, Hunter. I, it's pronounced Schneeble. <laughs> <laughs> it's so awesome. I love that. I want to put I want to put something above my one of my letters. Like it's Austin. I just think <laughs> Joe Dierte whenever I see uh, that. Dude. I haven't seen that movie in ages. Ah, great, I'm trying great to search it up, son. Don't you mean Joe Dirt? <laughs> Joe Dirt, hey. God damn it. Uh. <laughs> uh, well, here's, here's the review. NASA hired Kubrick to fake the moon landing in studio, but he's such a perfectionist, they had to film it on the moon instead. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's too real. And he didn't give any stars. He's, he's too good for that. He's just like, I don't rate movies. Yeah. I watch them. <laughs> Hunter doesn't review the movies. The movies review him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what's going on in my head. And it's always five stars. Yeah. Everything's everything's art, man. Yeah. Ugh, is it? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've seen some stuff. <laughs> it's, 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 when it's shit, it's shit. <laughs> oh boy. All right. This last one's from Truman. I only saw this in theaters so that when pretentious people talk about it, I can yawn. Five stars. <laughs> uh, a bit of sarcasm there. That's good. I love that. You know. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. Letterbox. This is what it's for, man. This is you get a good laugh. Sometimes you learn. You know. Sometimes you get angry. It's great. <laughs> yeah, it's cool to see. You know, the wide world of film buffs and what they think about this shit. It's it's cool to be, have access to that. Yeah, and be a part of it, right? You know, share your own thoughts and some people interact and you never know. You never know like what what you're going to, you know, find about a movie. Nowadays, I am one of those like letterboxed bros who's like, if I see a new movie um, all that night, I'll get on there and just, be, like, just see what people are saying about it, you know, and just their curiosity. Like what are what are fans that are willing enough to go see a film and talk about it on this social media app typically typically you get rewarded by reading stuff from other perspectives just just because that's that's how like art works you know you just keep sharing with people and sharing your thoughts and opinions and here we are doing a whole segment about it so I, this segment's so much fun it really is it, it's it's a blast and adding you know i'm so glad i decided to move my reviews from the website to letterboxd because reviewing on letterboxd has cut my review time in half because i no longer have to build a page yeah, I can yeah just, it's pretty. They make it pretty easy. Yeah, just you type. throw it. You write up. You know your thoughts. Takes me less than five minutes of a review. Yeah, that's great. 
Mm. Ah, this was this was fun. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that about covers it. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, if you're, uh, feel free to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest films for us to check out, you can email us at filmgasm at gmail.com or you can always send a message through any of the socials. Check out our letterbox accounts for daily reviews. You can search me at Connor95 and in my friends list, you can find the rest of the team. Check out our website, filmgasm.com, where I have a link to my letterbox if you want to read reviews and you can also find articles, trailers of upcoming films and every episode of our show. If you'd like to become a monthly donor to Filmgasm Productions, feel free to click on the link in the episode description. From there, you can click on support this podcast. You can choose to donate a dollar a month, $5 a month, or $10 a month. All donations go right back into the podcast, and we appreciate it. Thanks to the entire... Oh, yeah. We really appreciate it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I I love doing this as a hobby. It'd be great to make it a job. Yeah, it would be nice. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll watch all the it 2001 documentaries, I swear. I'll read all of Arthur C. Clarke's shitty sequels. I'll do it. Uh, I'll, I might not enjoy it, but I'll do it <laughs> for content. <laughs> it's content. Thanks to the entire Filmgasm team for their constant friendship and contributions to the show. Austin Johnson, Caleb Leger, Josh Allred, Colton Jenkins, Christian Aguilar, Isabel Gonzalez, Jeremy Johnson, Adam Johnson, and Maja Pierce-Lewis. You guys rock. Thank you. And thanks to Cooley Cow for our awesome theme music. And thanks to you for checking out the show. Don't piss off any artificial intelligence this week. And if you're into conceptual science fiction, good for you. I, I wish I could get on board. Take it easy. Keep watching movies. And we'll see you next week. Thank you.